This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered. The party is beginning. Now you've lost your last name, Jeff. Hey. Yesterday yeah. you were, you know, why Why do Jeffrey I get Lee special one-name treatment? Now you have it too. Yeah. We you delivered you. More you important? ask, we deliver. You're right there with Oprah. Pretty soon you're just going to call me Jay. J-Dog. And then J. And Yeah. Uh, don't bring up Oprah. <laughs> Oprah, more and more people are talking about Oprah running for president. Apparently she is yeah, considering it. Yeah. She's, no, she's not. Yes, she's yes, con- seriously yes, considering it. Yesterday it was no, except for, um, what's his name? His, her, uh, her, her partner. Uh, yeah. I forgot his name. Stedman. 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 He said, yeah, she's totally into this. Or, you know, she's considering it or whatever he said. He Stedman. And now Gail King's on CBS, her friend, saying that... Um, there's all these people. Yeah, she's talking about it. They're she, in her, CNN in, had a report yesterday. In her Golden Glove speech, she talked about hope is on the way. Right. There's like a mm, hope. There's great. something coming. It'd be interesting because we've had somebody from Hollywood on the conservative side run. It'd be interesting yeah. to see if people would be burnt out from somebody running from Hollywood or if they would yeah. welcome a no. Democratic well, Na- Hollywood Nancy person. Nancy Pelosi says it may not be the best thing for the country to have no. another Hollywood person in there. Not at all. But Just, it's Oprah Winfrey, for heaven's sakes. You said it yesterday. She needs to back somebody and like yeah. really put yeah. herself behind her influence behind that person. Yeah. That's probably where she could do the best for whatever she cause she's She backed Barack Obama. Of. That turned out okay for him. I will say this. She is more likely to run than Tom Hanks as her running mate. Yeah, we don't need any anyone <laughs> else. I mean, I get Oprah because she kind of has taken a different tack, right? She's she's more of a diplomat now. I mean, she's helping Weight Watchers. So she's taken this to a different direction. She's like a voice of moral authority. Hmm. You know what I mean? Plus she gives away cars. Yeah. Plus, she's got stuff under your seat if you're in her audience. It's pretty nice. Uh, by the way, unbelievable game if you watched it. The championship game last night uh, for college football. For about a quarter and a half, it was really good. It was It was a the great game. The rest of game. it was, ugh, seriously. And the end of that game, I mean, they, they pull out the big name, uh, what's his name, Hurts? Their quarterback. Hurts? He's not... Like he's not a really good quarterback, but he's, he's okay. They he's the best quarterback now on the best team, and well, then they for, yank him he's, uh, and put okay. a freshman in. Yeah, a freshman. Yeah, that's the real move. They pull. See, the thing with Alabama, they've won six championships under their current coach, eleven yeah. overall. Yeah. Right. So under their current coach Nick Saban, they've never had a top quarterback. You don't need one, I guess, when everyone else on the everyone team is Everyone else the best. on the team is top. That's where they focus, and they bring in someone that's okay. Now, this 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 uh, freshman that won the game. Unbelievable. He, he's a five-star recruit coming yeah. out of Hawaii. So, I mean, he's a, he's a really, uh, allegedly, a good talent when you get the college recruiting. It's kind of a, a, a wish-wash of uh, accuracy. But, <laughs> but it is interesting that they don't have, like, the, you don't have like your Heisman Trophy guy. He's not no. the guy that's going to yeah. step into the NFL <laughs> and <laughs> and be successful. You don't most need of, that. Most of the quarterbacks move on to the next level right. and really struggle. Right. And so they have an average quarterback, and they've been able to be really successful yeah. with a guy back there that most of the time can't throw the football accurately. 
Well, that's, that's why crazy. They, that's why they pulled the starter because he couldn't throw the football. They thought the other guy could throw the ball better, and they needed uh, to catch up. Yeah, he did. By the way, they needed to score thirteen points to make to make up the deficit. They ended up did tying it at twenty, and they went to overtime. And so this was who? Alabama, Georgia. Alabama, Georgia. It was really hmm. great that the SEC invited the rest of the country to the national championship to watch. Yeah, unless of course. Now here's the thing: Central Florida. Yeah, they Central beat Auburn Florida. Last week, right? Undefeated. So they go undefeated. Auburn beat Georgia and Alabama. Oh, boy. Right? So it's Central Florida, who's undefeated, yeah. who beat the team that uh, beat both of the yeah. teams in the title game. Does that matter? Mm, no, should. it doesn't. Because now they're, they're sixth in the, li- the yeah. latest polls. Well, because they're not Alabama. Right. And Alabama, they did that last night with three freshmen. So you have the quarterback that came in at halftime. True freshman. Mm-hmm. He played like, in high school so last 18 year. 18 years old. The leading rusher, leading running back, freshman last year in high school. <laughs> right? And then Alabama, the leading receiver, I believe the guy that caught the touchdown. Yeah. He was a freshman yeah. last year. He was in high school. These are who they're winning with. I kind of know how these kids feel. Oh, really? Oh, Last night, uh, I installed our new smart thermostat, and uh, things weren't going well there for a while. It, it was, was kind of touch and go. Yeah. Uh, but I, I went in there the second half. I gave it all I got, and uh, I gave it, just it sort of plug and play. I gave That's it a hundred ten percent. Yeah, was, and uh, in the end, we came out on top. Yeah, and uh, we're just going to keep plugging away. Uh, no, and I now, plugged it in. What about the next game? Are you looking? Are you looking to the championship, or are you just looking to the next game? For the next installation. <laughs> Wait till it gives you like the message that it wants to update itself. We're, we're just Whoa. we're just celebrating the moment. We're we're not thinking about uh, what's coming up next. We're just enjoying the moment. Yeah, you know that has those are not even parallel. Really? No. The guy, a freshman, an eighteen year old. But I gave it a hundred ten percent. A thirty five yard bullet. More actually, than that. it was more than my, about. I mean, it was on the forty, but he ran back to the fifty to throw oh, it. It so. was an unbelievable. Oh, yeah. It was bullet a, pass. It was about thirty five degrees outside when I installed it. No, no, no. You're, I think you're missing the point. And you have to turn the furnace off so the whole house gets cold. That's right. Wife's a little worried that you're I not going to be able I had to, to build a fire. This. I had to build a fire to go gather wife, some wood. Wife has no confidence in your skills in installing this. No, thing. No, no, I've no, been no. there. And the quarterback was looking off the yeah. safety the, you to watch, keep the safety my moving wife, where he needed to move. Then my at the wife, last second turns his head and throws a 40-yard bullet. My wife was my safety. She was standing there with a flashlight the whole time. Yeah. You didn't watch the game, did you? And uh, no, there were a couple, of, a couple of the screws fell. Oh, yeah. And it was kind of it kind of wow. had a scary moment there. But we picked them up. There, it's, Couldn't it's, get those labels to stick on right. It's mm. a little different. It's a little different. But let me tell you, that smart thermostat is awesome. Smart. That <laughs> thermostat can think for itself. With the Alabama, going back to the oh, football game. Yeah. Um, we get distracted I by I thought thermostats. we were talking about football this so, whole time. Uh, nope. The quarterback that came in at halftime is a freshman. Yeah. The guy that won all the games all year and got them to that point, but then pulled at halftime, he's a sophomore. Yeah. They're all coming back next year. Who's going to play? Yeah. you got to go with the guy that... The Wonderful, sophomore yeah. that was polled was very gracious. He was over there coaching yeah, up he was the freshman. This was a team yeah. of sophomores no. that won the game? Mm-hmm. When you're good, you don't even make it to your junior year most of the time. So you know, that's you, interesting because right? this was kind of my sophomore installation. Oh, wow. It was a very sophomoric discussion. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> anyway, uh, so if you watch the game, you, you, had, so, a, you had a fun y- night. Yay, exciting, but eh, Alabama won again. But more, more importantly than maybe that um, are the talks between North and South Korea, which I'm sure Terry's going to enlighten us on. Terry, let's talk headlines. 
So North Korea has said it will send its athletes and a high-level delegation to the Winter Olympics in South Korea next month after the two rival Koreas held their first official talks in more than two years. It's out of Bloomberg. Uh, during a sit-down between the two sides at the Truce Village on Tuesday, so earlier this morning, uh, North Korea officials said they were uh, they would like to improve ties with the South through further dialogue. Because I think we should be engaged in these talks with an earnest, sincere manner to give the New Year's first gift precious results of talks to the Korean nation, North yeah. Korea's top delegate says. By the way, did you notice the delegations? They're, they're all, you know, dressed in black suits, white shirts. Well, sure. And so, like, I would have been it's the guy business. that wore the tan suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? You I thought just, maybe yeah. it was one of the, not the Me Too movement, but the Time's Up movement. Not us movement. No, it, yeah, it, it was a real weird throwback. Everybody in dark suits. South Korean officials said they'd like to first tackle cooperation with North Korea on the upcoming Olympics before later getting to the more sensitive political and military issues. But as a sign of easing tensions, delegates from Seoul propose that both nations march together at the games, oh, wow. according to Bloomberg. That's great. The South is really trying to, By this the way, is ridiculous, let's fix this. The South is doing everything they can. They're even going to pay for the North Koreans to yeah. come down. They, 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 they may want... even give them a, a cruise ship. Offshore, so that they, they can, can isolate. have their own people yeah. they wherever they want. They don't want the South doesn't want any missiles launched during the yeah. games. I think that would kind of draw attention away from well, what it they're would, trying to yeah, do. Yeah, it would mess a few things up. <laughs> I mean that, but hopefully this could you know segue into something else. I don't know that the government's real in love with this idea. Yeah, I don't mm. know. We'll have to see. Hmm. In other news, officials have ordered thousands of people who were affected by recent wildfires in South uh, Southern California to evacuate as an upcoming winter storm poses a threat for mudslides and flash floods. Mandatory evacuations were issued for about 7,000 people in mountainous areas affected by the Thomas, Witter, Sherpa, and Ray fires, according to the Santa Barbara County oh, Office boy. of Emergency Management. Another 23,000 people were under evacuation warning. So this is because all the... Foliage and yep. trees and stuff burn, and then you just have mud. Then just you just then mount, mountains just start moving. This is uh, it never ends. To after a fire, it takes years to get it back. This is nature's way of kind of revenge. Sloughing. This is what you itself. get when you build your house on me. Is that what? No? Yeah, you build your house on me. <laughs> you and killed I take my. You, you out. killed my brother as a tree. <laughs> Prepared You're going down. That's right. President Trump meets today with Republicans and Democrats to discuss the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals or DACA program, yeah. which increasingly appears to be a make-or-break piece for this month's must-pass spending bill. CNN reports. Republicans say Democrats won't budge on a budget unless the 800,000 Dreamers brought to the U.S. illegally as children are protected from deportation. Why won't Democratic leadership negotiate with us, Senator Chuck Grassley, a Republican from Iowa, says. Huh. Why, why won't they negotiate with us? He goes, because we refuse to simply pass the DREAM Act as, as is with no proportional border security and interior enforcement measure. So what he's saying is they just want this bill passed. They don't want anything attached yeah. to it. They want a clean bill, as they right. say, right? The Republicans, they want to attach funding for the wall. Mm. Right. Well, 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 they would say they wouldn't put it that way. They would say we want to ensure that our approach to immigration is complete with security on the border. Yeah, they want the wall because they Trump, want to secure the border. Because Trump wants the wall, and they're going to fight for what he wants because he's you and, know, and people would say Trump doesn't just want it. 
he, unless there can be a hotel in it. Yeah. Trump and a golf course <laughs> a uh, golf next course. to it. That, Which there is. Yeah. There's a golf course along the border that oh, yeah. they're going to have to put a wall through. That would be so tough to get your ball back, though, if it went oh, over yeah. the wall. Yoo-hoo! Could you toss the ball back? Insiders are pessimistic about the possibilities of reaching a long-term budget deal, and the government shutdown looms just 10 days away. Well, you know what they'll do. What they've done every kick other the week. Bucket down the yeah, road they just again, kick, kick it the three more weeks yeah. down the road. And uh, we have a guest coming up here in a few yeah. minutes about social media, what it's doing to us, those types of things. Millions of Americans use social media daily, but that doesn't mean they love it, or so they say. Some of the most used social media products in the world, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, are also some of the ones that Americans have strongest negative feelings about, according to a new survey. Really? Case in point, Twitter. 330 million active users, whatever that number means, around the world as of, as of September, and the U.S. president uses it to threaten uh, war and blast the news media. Most people, 89%, are familiar with the platform, but they are divided on how they feel about it, according to the poll. Some, 46% of Americans surveyed want to, in the survey's parlance, kill it and hope it dies. Wow. Mm. While 43% want, it to, want to fuel it to keep it alive. They Okay, so... This is a Harris poll, by the so way. So people, they 46% don't like Twitter. want Twitter to, as it says, kill it and hope it dies. So they have a negative view. 43% have a positive view. So it's split. Yeah. Kill it and hope it dies. Isn't that what Kylo Ren said in Star Wars? Could have been. I, I think I got a Christmas card that said that. <laughs> Facebook, 32% say that they hope it would go away. 64% say that we should, we should keep it. But everybody that's saying this are not the 310 million Twitter lovers. Well, uh, they're, they're saying there's 330 million, 46% of the people they talk to. They, they surveyed 2,000 people. Yeah. See, now listen, I could probably be considered an active Twitter user, even though I maybe tweet once every two years. It's been a couple of years since I've tweeted I, something. I'd say you're less active. Really? I mean, once every two years? Yeah. I tweet uh, 10 times a day, and I don't even know how to tweet. That's how amazing it is. Well, you just sit in your office and you whistle. No, I do it. Terry while you it. you whistle while you whittle a stick. But don't you think if you if everybody wants the president to quit tweeting, mm. then those everybody on Twitter needs to get off. If everybody on Twitter would just turn off Twitter for three months, the it's president would would probably quit. It's a good I, point. I think if people really thought about it, they're probably fine with the president having a Twitter account. They just wish somebody else was doing it. Oh, that's rude. Because past presidents have been on Twitter, yeah, and they had a staff that took care of that, right? Unless someone you know gave it to him, and then he they they would put out something that was measured, something that was planned, and not something that was off the top of their head that misspelled words. And well, what would you then expect the president to do the rest of the day? Well, he has executive time, as we've learned. Um, there's plenty of TV to watch. You can actually look at Twitter and not tweet. Has he taken yeah. advantage of the extra characters? Um, does he? I think he does. Hmm. As they extended it past the 140. Does he? I think he does. I think he's going to take every advantage he has. He's also threading his tweets. Oh, Where you he? can, like, connect so, yeah. him so that you have, like, one thought. He knows what he's of. doing. I mean, as far as, he knows what he's doing as far as tweeting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the Sounded reality is, mean. well, once you've watched the entire Golden Girls um, series... Okay. Then there's not a lot of daytime TV that you're going to want to watch. Do you think he's watched Golden Girls? I don't know. Hmm. But he watches cable news. 
Does he? That's what he says. That's what they say. Well, what could he say? Yeah, I was just watching infomercials all morning. He has like the impulse to tweet what he's watching, it looks like. So if he's watching something else, we're going to like random prices right yeah. sort of tweets or. See, yeah, there it is. C- C- CNN was just saying. Say, oh, Blanche. <laughs> Blanche! <laughs> CNN was saying that I, I guess uh, Anderson Cooper could track every one of his yeah. tweets to an exact time on Fox News. Yeah. But, People do this daily. You'll see it out there like, oh, 9.15. But they also Fox say News he has said three this. televisions. So one television you know is on Golden Girls. Sure. It's a great show. You know, of the four Golden Girls, Betty White is the only one that's still living. She's still alive. The curse of the Golden Girls. She's mid-90s. That's amazing. And still acting. Yeah. I mean, when I'm 90, I'm not going to be acting. I mean, I'll be acting you, like... I don't know if you're going to make it to I'll be 90s. acting like a 90-year-old. Huh. What was that? I, nothing. Wow. Seemed kind of low. Yeah, that's kind of mean. You don't say that when he's in the room. Do you guys say it when I'm out of the room? No comment. Boy. Um, did you hear 7-Eleven? Yeah. Which, it's not 7-Eleven's fault, I guess. No. Um, 2,000 7-Eleven customers may possibly have been exposed to hepatitis A in Utah. Yeah. Uh, holy, Betty White is 95 years old. Yeah. Just had her birthday. Yeah, so the 7-Eleven, they had uh, the, the public health department. A worker in Utah. had hepatitis A but so kept this, working, yeah. which you'd have to do because, you know, you you got to make your money or yeah. keep your benefits or whatever. So they send out a warning on. saying that if you, between these times, if you went to this store and you purchased. If you used the restroom, yeah. consumed a fountain drink, there you go. fresh fruit or food from the hot food case. Yeah. You should so probably contact the health department. If you bought like Scary. an apple, a banana, or you picked up a taquito, yeah. make a phone call. I mean, this isn't if you did IV drugs in the parking yeah. lot. This is if you came in <laughs> and got a soda at our soda fountain, Yeah, you probably ought to contact the health department. <laughs> oh, if, you rent, if you rented a movie from Redbox. <laughs> and I've been to this location. Oh, have you really? Yeah, it's in a good 7-Eleven. year or two? Mm, no. You sure? Well, I've driven by it. I know Any, where it is. The key is any time between December 26th a, and January a, it's 3rd. It's in a Target parking lot. That's kind of a, a wide range of, of days there. Yeah, that's when the employee had, you know, Ooh. I guess raging hepatitis A. <laughs> but, I mean, think about it's that. It's scary. But this goes on. We hear a story like this in every state. Probably every day there's a story like right. this. Did he have a demanding boss that he, this guy just had to be at work? No, yeah. but, he, but they need the money. You His need name's the money. Phil. Phil's Phil. demanding. You don't understand. Everybody's got to fill. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, think of just everyday life. You're out just doing what you're doing. You stop in, grab a drink. It's just a very common thing. Then you find out you have hepatitis. By the way, do you know what the answer to this is? Glove up or something? What? Conscientiousness with hygiene, hand washing, and not working when you're sick. Okay. Yeah. Shouldn't be that startling. <laughs> <laughs> All you have to do is wash your hands and and... Don't go to work when you're sick. Hmm. Like this person probably was nauseous, had a fever. Should you get out of your car, right? Yeah. Put on the, the, the mask. Well, you'd have to glove up. Right. Put on gloves. No, it won't matter because then you're, you're getting a drink that the person had cleaned all the little spouts. and <laughs> Some of us are just more dedicated to our work than others. So, totally. I, no, I, came, I, I came when I was sick. You let a little sniffle yeah. and some kidney stones yeah. keep you away. I couldn't believe it. Okay, but let's be. Let, are you not hearing what I'm saying here? If if you're <laughs> sick, you you don't come to work, or you you will infect people. I've been so infected. I've been like infected. I mean, affected 
<laughs> by your performance at work you can't on a daily basis. You can't prove no, the infection on, or the And I mean that in the best affect. way in best way possible. Hmm. Wash your hands, folks. Don't come to work if you're sick. It's pretty it's very basic public health. If you're sniffling, stay home. See, we have the benefit at BYU Radio of having little spit guards for our speak for our uh, microphones. Those can we'll wash those off. I take I take mine out twice a day and hose it down. I've got a spit guard in between you and me. Yeah, like a salad bar. Yeah. You to me look like a cucumber waiting to be put on my salad bar plate. Healthy and delicious? No. Oh. And by the way, I I wasn't going to get into this. Went to church Sunday and the you know, usually the parents bring little treats for the little kids because they want to try to keep them quiet, do whatever they can to keep them happy and quiet. But you won't believe what um, I saw, this kid pulls – the mom pulls out the treat basket for every – for the little boy and guess what it is? It's all of the sudden, it's – he's got tomatoes, cucumbers in his little treat jar. The slipperiest of produce. And this little one-and-a-half-year-old kid was popping little cherry tomatoes through church. I was so envious. He had a little salad going. And some grapes. I, I, oh, it was. It Didn't was he pull time. out a, a pepper crusher too? Yeah. Can just sprinkle some of that on no, there? He did a little bit of everything. It's pretty neat. And pepper he didn't wine, even use ranch. He didn't even use ranch dressing to dip it in. Wow. I know. That's, that's the new parenting model right there. Get your kids healthy while giving them treats at church. Hey, straight ahead, we will be talking about why it may not be good for you to keep score of your friends and keep counting how many friends you have on Facebook or how many friends your friends have. It may be impacting your self-esteem, and we'll teach you what to do about it. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Social media is changing the way we look at the world and the way we look at ourselves. Is it really healthy for us to be using social media to measure our success? Here to speak with us uh, about it is Ashley Willens. She's a professor at the Harvard Business School and a returning guest to the Matt Townsend Show. Ashley, thank you so much for being with us again. Thank you for having me. This is uh, – I, I love your research because you, you – in, in your research on social media, you found out – that when it comes right down to it, as as human beings, comparisons really matter a lot to us. They do. Um, I mean, we're people. We're all inherently social um, by nature, and so the presentation of others' social networks can really significantly impact our happiness. Why? So when I am looking at my friends to see how many friends they have on Facebook, you're saying I guess some of that is normal, but why am I doing it? What is it? What does it give me? So our research didn't look at that specific question, but there has been some research showing that it really does, that we can actually form connections or form relationships with people through our interactions with social media. So it's not that social media is necessarily bad or good, but depending on how we use it and how we think about it, it can have either positive or negative 
uh, consequences for our happiness. So we've done some research, and other research has really looked at this idea of lurking, which is when we when we're, <laughs> That's I know such I love a weird word. Too, lurking. I have to say it. Yeah. <laughs> um, where we're just passively observing others' content on social media, like on. Facebook or LinkedIn, Twitter, when we're, we spend more time passively engaged in, in social media, that's when we start to see negative implications for well-being, belonging, and happiness. But when we spend time looking at our own profiles, interestingly, that can actually have a self-affirming effect. Really? Um, so there's been a, one paper looked at how looking at our own profile can sort of verify what we care about and who our friends are and actually make us feel better. Uh, Whereas in general, though, on average, actively engaging in social interactions, much like actively engaging in social interactions in life seems to be the best for happiness. Interesting. Yeah. And um, so really, I guess the key is don't we don't need to demonize social media as good or bad. We just say it's really more about how you approach it. If you approach it kind of as a stalker, a lurker, one that just is constantly passively looking deeply into everyone else's life, it, it will probably impact you psychologically, emotionally. Yes. I mean, I think we want to engage in the same social behavior that's beneficial for <laughs> us in our daily lives as we want to engage in that social behavior online. So oh, just man. like having small interactions with friends and family, even passing colleagues in the hall and saying hi is, is good for, for positive mood. Similarly, seeking out social interactions through social media as opposed to watching others have social interactions is is best for happiness. That's good. Talk about your research. What specifically did you do in your study um, looking at, at how we look at the numbers of friends others have in social media? Yeah, so so one we kind of have two related projects, and and the first project really wasn't so much related to social media, but definitely social media can fundamentally shape how we see and think about the social connectedness of others. But but in the one paper that we recently published, we were really interested in understanding how people form friendships when they're new to a a, a community. So in particular, we looked at first year university students new to campus. And we wanted to understand whether and how the thoughts that students had about their peers' social networks impacted their own belonging over the course of the year. So we know from a lot of research that having more friends and having quality social relationships is one of the number one predictors of both health and happiness. And in a recent meta-analysis, so uh, a a combination of a a lot of um, different papers from many, many years and many, many different labs, Social relationships were one of the key predictors of of mortality, meaning if we had more positive uh, social relationships, we actually might live longer and happier lives. So there's really evidence that speaks to the importance of social relationships. So we know that having these relationships is good um, for well-being and belonging. But what we know less about is the way that we think about our own and others' social relationships might also impact well-being. So regardless of how many friends I have, how I think about the social relationships of my peer network might also independently impact well-being. And that's what we were really interested in testing. And so we know that in most social domains, people get a bad rap. Uh, In most social domains, you know, the research says in social psychology that we all think we're awesome at everything. (laughs) We think we're better than average uh, on exam performance, 
driving, which uh, we think we're always better than the other drivers on the road and that it's always their fault. When it comes to health behavior, we think we're doing better. We think we're exercising more. And so across many, many domains of life, people on average think that they're doing better. But when it came to our study, we actually found that social relationships, especially when we're new to a social network, might be one domain in which we actually think we're doing worse than our peers. And this is where social media might play a role. What we found across two studies is that students who are new to a social network, they thought that their peers were doing better than they were socially. They thought on average that other first-year students at university had more close friends and more social acquaintances than they did, which perhaps unsurprisingly was negatively related to happiness and belonging. So students who thought that their peers were doing better, which was most students that we studied, felt lower levels of happiness and less belonging at university than students who thought they were doing the same or, or better than average. But we did see some silver lining. So students who thought that they were doing a bit worse than their peers at the beginning of the year actually turned it around and made more friends at the end of the year, suggesting that maybe thinking that other people are doing better, at least when we're in a a new social environment, might actually have the positive benefit of motivating us to go and, and seek more social relationships. I get and Yet you could also see that some would be like depressed and fall into, you know, be antisocial behavior. But you're saying overall, we tend to, when we enter a new kind of peer group in college, at least in this setting, in this study you did, um, they, we'd enter in, oh, and we'd have a tendency to think that the other people around us have more friends, they're more, they're, they're maybe better so at building a social network. But then over time, we end up picking ours up and, and, that, and that difference of what we think others uh, have shrinks. We don't think they have as many friends as as we used to think. Yeah, exactly. It normalizes. It yeah. Us. So yeah. There, there's something about this idea of there being a surmountable gap between ourselves and others. So we don't want to think that other people have so many more friends yeah. than us that we're just never going, you know, that might lead to this antisocial or, yeah. or isolating behavior that you just mentioned. But when students thought their peers maybe were just doing a little bit better than them, it seemed to be motivating. So I think it helped to encourage the students that we studied to to maybe talk to that person in class that they've been thinking about chatting with or to join a new club or or, um, do an extracurricular that they were thinking about. So it seems that there's a motivating property, at least with what we saw in our data, um, suggesting that you know, thinking you weren't doing quite so well was motivating um, in the context of making more friends. Does do you do you think it matters at all um, uh, whether somebody is in college and using social media as opposed to those that are just at home doing it? Um, it would there be a difference? Because it seems like to me, a part of university or college, there is a social side. There is kind of a uh, you know, a, a social, I mean, not for everybody, but the, it's its a younger group of people and there's a social component a lot of times to the university. Would it be different if we measured uh, 30-year-olds or non-college students? Yeah, so I think that's a great question. I think it's more to do with whether you're new to a social network and less driven by age. Mm, so right. what we found in our studies is that actually these social misperceptions, as we call them, or overestimations, thinking that other, uh, other of your peers have more friends, seem to diminish over time. So when we surveyed second, third, fourth year students in other studies that we've been working on, 
we find that students are most likely to think that others are doing better socially than they are right when they're new to a social environment. Again, suggesting that this belief that others are doing better might be in some way adaptive. Mm. And then over time, these social overestimations diminish. So as we get more experience with our social network, we make friends, we understand our role more in the context of this new social network, these overestimations seem to disappear, suggesting it's, I think, mostly about being new. I've often talked about these findings in the context of workplaces. So I, you know, I work in a business school now. I think I didn't the last time we chatted. Um, So I think a little bit more about how some of my research findings um, can be relevant to organizations. And a lot of companies that I've started working with, the onboarding recruitment process of new employees might actually involve communications like that, that are communicating organizational culture, a whole lot of employees doing something fun together that might actually have a negative implication for employees who are new joining that social environment. Oh, everyone here already knows each right. other. Um, you know, it's a really connected community that I'm not part of. And so I think that these findings also have implications for the way that em- employers communicate their workplace culture to new employees. We know that this initial year, the first year that employees are at an organization, is the critical year um, when employees decide whether they're going to stay or whether they're going to leave since they've just transitioned. The costs of leaving are less than once they've been at an organization for longer. And so I think that thinking about how these social overestimations and the role of communication and social media and potentially uh, having this negative effect, this unintentional consequence of actually making new people uh, to an organization or a school um, feel excluded as opposed to included, which is really the intention. And we, we did run another study um, looking at Facebook profiles, and we had a whole group of, of undergraduate students come into the lab, first year, second year, third year, fourth year, and look at a whole lot of Facebook profiles that differed in how social the content was. So whether they featured groups of students interacting and socializing, or whether they featured you know, more of the uh, cat photo meme variety of <laughs> social yeah. media posting. <laughs> wasn't all cat memes, right. but you get the joke. Yeah, oh, totally. Yep. Um, and what we actually found is that there was, on average, between the group that saw the more asocial posts and the group that saw the more social posts of UBC students where we conducted the study, that on average there was no difference between condition on belonging or social intentions, but that the social photos, so the Facebook photos that featured groups of people interacting together, were, were really negatively impactful in terms of feeling connected and, and, and feeling engaged with the university community for students who are new to the social network, so for the first-year students that we studied. Again, suggesting that it's not necessarily age, so we not yeah. found kind of no difference by age, but that it seems that being new really makes us sensitive to the social information we're getting um, about our new environment. And we don't like to see uh, social photos when we're socially insecure because we're new. Exactly. Interesting. So some of the communications that we might be using in workplaces or or schools to signal that we're a great place where everyone's socially connected might actually be having this sort of negative effect, especially for for 
exactly who you're trying to, to show this right. workplace or university culture to, which is uh, people who are new to the environment. Well, Ashley, you know what this means. Now on every you know new um, Facebook page, uh, there's going to be more pictures of cats. And, and I mean, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily be against this. At like the first, you know, new people to an environment or welcome to Apple. <laughs> just, just have a bunch of employees holding kitties. Yeah. Um, that is There's research on this. I bet uh, that, there is that that, uh, that looking at photos of animals reduces stress. So isn't you know, that amazing? Like I said, I'm, That's great. I'm a fan. Again, we're speaking with Ashley Willens, who um, works at Harvard's um, business school as a professor at the Harvard Business School, and uh, um, really likes to study complex relationships as well as other issues: consumer psychology, corporate culture, happiness. So, what can I do then? I mean, I did it, it actually just shows us that we really are socially, I guess, um, we're, we're a little socially insecure I, I, as we approach a new situation. And it's important for those that are already in the situation to recognize that people are coming in with a lot of concerns. Exactly. And I think, it's, I think the, the recognition needs to go both ways. Not only do workplaces and schools, universities, need to be mindful of the fact that it's, you know, when you're new to a social environment, there is a lot of insecurity. When we're in a new social environment, we also have to recognize that that's okay. Yeah. So one of the key messages from this research that we, you know, wanted to, to really get out there is that, you know, we found this, the students that we studied in, in the main paper that we've been talking about today are well-adjusted University students, um, you know, who got into a great university, you know, these are highly functioning young adults, and the majority of them felt like they weren't doing as well as others. Hmm. And, and so one of the key takeaways is that we need to be easy on ourselves when we're in a new social environment. It can be challenging. You know, there, there's new people, you don't understand the dynamics. You're facing a lot of challenges all at once, both in terms of, you know, in a university context, the course material, and also these social relationships, professional relationships. When we're in a workplace, we're dealing with new roles and new responsibilities, a new city perhaps, and navigating a lot of, of, a lot of changes. And so I think our study really highlights the fact that if you're in a new situation and you're feeling alone, that you also need to give yourself some credit and realize that that is totally a normal feeling. And chances are everyone around you is also feeling that way. And that might then encourage you to seek out a social relationship that you think maybe that person already has friends. Maybe they don't want to go for lunch with me. Chances are you're probably both eating lunch alone in your office. You should probably reach out to that other new person and, and, and form a friendship, given that they're likely as looking for a friend as much as you are. That's great advice. Is there Are there things that you could see we could do as parents to uh, to kind of normalize this, this fear and help our kids be able to step into it a little easier? Uh, to, to normalize interacting with, with other new people? Yeah. I think, I mean, there's been some advice. I haven't looked at, into any research on this, but I think it's a great question. And I think you can kind of, help. Um, so one of my colleagues has um, a great paper, Alison Woodbrooks, uh, here in, in, in my department, showing that reframing anxiety as excitement can help people 
so you know mm. uh, um, perform better. And I have some data showing it also helps people negotiate new situations, new social situations in a more productive way. So maybe telling your your you know again normalizing this feeling that you know you get a little bit of anxiety. It's totally normal to to feel a little bit uncomfortable when you're uh, interacting with a new person for the first time. So one, normalizing it, kind of saying everyone feels that way, and then helping, you know, your kids or college students, new employees, to reframe some of that social um, anxiety as excitement or enthusiasm for, for meeting a new new group of people that could potentially be lifelong friends. So this malleability idea, this idea that, you know, making friends is hard, uh, this was Carol Dweck's, some of Carol yeah. Dweck's research at, at Stanford, um, but this idea that be- these beliefs of, of whether or not we think we can make more friends and, and really trying to tell ourselves making new friends is hard, but this is something I can work on. Um, you know, if someone doesn't reply to a coffee date or a lunch date, just keep trying. They're probably busy. It's not you. It's not you. Uh, yeah, trying to take things less personally and, and try to see the situational factors that might be at play. And really just, you know, keep keep trying um, and, and, and really tell yourself that, it's totally normal um, to feel like being new is, is challenging because it is. It's such good advice. Ashley, we love having you on the show, and I'm going to just continue to lurk on your Facebook page and find out your latest and greatest research, so we'll have you back on the show. Ashley Willens is her name, again, an assistant professor at the Harvard Business School, uh, and that article she was just referred to by Allison Wood Brooks, um, I found one that I just found was get excited, reappraising pre-performance anxiety as excitement. That's exciting for me to even think about uh, to help my clients and to just make all of us understand that, you know, anxiety is normal in all of our lives. Worst comes to worst. Go look at some pictures of some animals. Go cuddle up with a kitten. Hey, doing what we can on the program to help you live and be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. you boy you too stupid to do what your coach tells you because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner Play ball. welcome back friends uh as we think of social media again let's not demonize it and i i just know sometimes this is generational those kids and their social media it's it's such a different world than the world that many of us grew up in, except it's also important to recognize that there are benefits uh, and you can enhance your life by how you choose to use your social media. If Again, if you're doing it and being kind of a passive participant in social media but, and you're spending a lot of time on other people's sites uh, deeply delving into their lives – it may not be as good for your psyche, right, your self-esteem. It may not be as as helpful to you. But if you are actually playing an active part in how you frame your your persona, your image to others, and, and you try to do it in a very realistic way, or if you use your social media as a mechanism or a means to serve other people, you are probably onto something. Or and not even just like to pass on your latest meme, but to actually further a conversation, and you can do it in a way um, that uh, that that I think helps those that are around you and elevates the game of everybody that is also connected to you looking at your feed. It really is something that um, it might be very beneficial for all of us to reevaluate how we use our social media and and ask yourself the question: What is it like? 
to be one of your uh, you know page followers? What is it like to be somebody that sees and looks at your postings every single day? Oh, well, they're so lucky because I just gave them my latest you know mind on uh, what's happening with President Trump or whatever. Be careful. Are you somebody that elevates the world by how you're using your social media? And I'm not, again, talking that you just have to sit and blow, you know, fluffy unicorn smoke everywhere um, and and try to change everybody to just be, you know, optimistic and naive about the world. But you can ask good questions and you can um, support good causes and you can bring great stories and show the real the the real side and the reality of life that there we can conquer issues. Um, interestingly, one of my favorite uh, Instagram posts that I follow is um, it's a it's a young couple uh, where one of the the husband and the couple was in an accident, I believe, injured himself and. Uh, is a a quadriplegic and is going through treatment right now. And it is the most beautiful thing ever to watch the wife caring for this husband as he's slowly starting to regain some of his abilities. And you see love, you see caring. It's just, it is such a beautiful experience. And for me, the idea of being able to every single day, um, if I'm going to be elevated, it's so easy to just go to that page and see a wife lovingly living up to her beliefs and her covenants and uh, and guiding her husband back. And then to see the light in his eye as, as she teases him and as they play together, um, it really is just, uh, I think, I think it's powerful. And it is something each and every one of us can do is to try to find the good in the world and then share that good through your social media. That's the goal, right? Pretty, pretty basic to lift the world one social post at a time. We will continue trying to lift your life as well as ours. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, my friends. You know, uh, life is hard. Um, It's hard enough just trying to live, but then all of a sudden when your HOA gets involved, and start pushing their agenda. Do you have an HOA, Matt? No. Are you involved in an HOA, Jeff? Nope. Do you have garages? Yes. We do. Okay. Because that's oh. the problem here is the garage. The HOA is on the garage. So uh, Auburn, California, a HOA is telling everyone in the in the, in the community, uh-huh. the, the neighborhood, that they need to uh, keep their garage door, doors open from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. What? Some have been abiding by the rules. Others are against it. You can imagine people are concerned, like, all my stuff's exposed why to do the you street. Want, why do they want them open? Well, as it says down here, um, crazy. one of the owners is quoted as saying, I have nothing to hide. I understand somebody had people living in the garage. <laughs> oh, I don't. I am following the rules. All I'm asking is a reasonable way to get around this. If you want to do a, mon- a monthly, bi-monthly inspection of my garage, I have nothing to hide. I have... Something that's being stored in there, and if you don't like it, I'll remove it. Look, it's a meth lab, okay? <laughs> Get off my back. Everyone does a little meth. <laughs> Residents say a $200 fine and an administrative <clears throat> hearing are the potential punishment for keeping the door down, but for some, paying the fine might be worth avoiding a burglary. Well, hold it. In my neighborhood, maybe it's just I live in a bad part of town, but we have to close our garage or somebody will come steal a bike. Yeah. Right. And a lot or of people a lot of people use their garage as kind of overflow from the house. Yeah. So you got to get all that stuff somewhere else now? That's where I put the kids. 
when they're naughty. Couldn't somebody just as easily sleep in the garage, you know, not within that eight to four time frame? Yeah, it seems like that's that when be they're the sleeping. Problem. The parties begin when the sun goes down. Yeah, that's what I've heard. So, what would you do? Would you pay the fine? Would you just keep your uh, door down? I mean, no, I would. I'd have a citizens' ridiculous. revolt. I would go start Collect signing signatures. a petition, mm-hmm. and we'd go in, and I'd probably hire some thugs Ooh. to go to the next HOA meeting. Some toughs, if you, you know will. what some you toughs. do. Go to the president of the HOA and rip them off during the hours of eight and four. Well, then they, they won't be. No, fans but then of you've it. committed a crime. Yeah, but yeah, you've you don't proved, want to commit you've a crime. proved a point. The yeah. ends justify the means. I know but you'll, you'll be saying that from the back seat of a police car, and no one will hear you. So there's an HOA meeting scheduled in two weeks. Yeah, that's, where a small riot will happen. It's not going to go well. I mean, instead, let's just solve the real problem. If the real problem is. Stuff in the garage, then let's just go do inspections. Well, people in the garage. If people are living in the garage, then we just do inspections, random surprise inspections with the police. I don't know. That's crazy. Just be grateful you're not in that HOA. Hey, we'll continue the journey more ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered. The band is back together. Just like the Beatles. Sans Yoko. Jeff on the banjo. And now Terry's playing dueling banjos. Oh, wow. Here we go, folks. Buckle up. And I'm using my feet. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Look at him work it, though. Yeah. He does need to clip his nails. Isn't that the secret to his, his success with the banjo? Is it the toenail? With the, well, the toenail. <laughs> he likes to keep that one toenail extra long. It's a strumming it's nail. For, for plucking. <laughs> Welcome to the program. Uh, a little ugly thought for you right there. So if, if you're a visual person, we just created a really nasty visual there. You really don't want to be thinking about my feet. No. Um, got, a, got, got a lot to talk about because this, um, the game last night, I still can't get over. Why? National championship game. How much uh, of it did you watch? Over time, I watched a quarter on. Yeah, that was the good part. The final quarter. You watched the first three quarters? Well, I thought... Oh, I come thought, on, guys. Score I point. Thought, well, I kept... I was following it on my phone, and I kept noticing that they've, they've got it. Georgia's got it. Right. They've got it. They've got it. But then, it seems like Georgia quit trusting the their quarterback. Hmm. They kind of... Yep. They, they quit trusting him to just run it, kind of free-fling it. hmm And once you do that... Yeah. They moved away from whatever got them the lead. They Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, anyway, great game last night. As I was telling you, I watched it on one of 20 different options that ESPN put out on their uh, digital platform. Yeah. They had what? They had uh, had your normal view, right? Then you had the the view. uh, They had a special broadcast team pro Alabama and a special broadcast team pro Georgia. Oh, wow. Then you could listen to the radio of Alabama or the radio of Georgia or the national radio broadcast. Just along with the video, you just get the radio play-by-play. 
they had a coach's room where uh-huh. they had five, six coaches all kind of watching it. And, oh, I would do this. Uh-huh. Would do, you know, so that's kind of interesting to listen to. That some would of the be strategy fantastic. that way. Then you had uh, several different TV networks had their like their 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 flagship shows mm-hmm. were were doing it. They had one channel that was rotating between about f- uh, four or five different ESPN shows. One in Miami, wow. one in New York, one in LA, and it would jump to them as they're doing something interesting. One one was actually a radio show. So they're sitting in their radio studio trying to do like their radio show as they're watching this game, bemoaning the fact that they have to sit there and do this because <laughs> they have to get up early and do morning radio. Right? Was there was there one that was like um, one was just the zipline camera that runs oh, down the that's field. That's my favorite. They had yeah. one where it was just the sound in the stadium. There was no play-by-play guy. There was none of that. All you had, the only sound you'd hear was cheers from the crowd, and then the ref well, talking, and then they showed like the halftime in, in yeah. full. And there was no commercials. Well, and the inebriated guy that's yeah. three rows down. So it was as if you were sitting in the stadium. If you wanted that sort of atmospheric presentation <laughs> of the game, they had all these different options. Didn't they have like pro-Trump uh, no. game, anti-Trump, pro-life, no. that, green? That was just during the anthem, and then that was done. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Trump made it. Yeah. And some are like commenting that he apparently he doesn't know all the words to the national anthem. Did you see that? He mumbles along like the most of of America does. No, maybe his dentures were falling out, so it didn't look like he was singing. We do not know if he does not have dentures. I don't know. We may have proof. The United States. Well, what's that? Oh, boy. What was that? It just may he just he man needs his polydent. He needs he needs more liquid in his mouth. Is that what it is? He's yeah. cotton mouth with loose yeah. dentures. It's because <sighs> what it's, a combination. So you're saying he doesn't have fake teeth and he doesn't have fake hair. I'm saying we don't know. Nothing has been, and I don't think any of that's in the book. It is. They talk about the animal stapled to his head. They don't they phrase do it that not way. But... Say that. Have you read the book? <laughs> no. But there's there's a point in there where they talk about the hair. No, do they really? Yeah, he has quotes from people on staff about the hair. It would be so hard to be a public figure like that. I mean, everything is open. Like, if, even if he's well, being, if he, what if he's having a moving moment? Though, what if he's being moved by the national anthem? Yeah. and then he his just stops singing, and, and every, his teeth fall out. No, of, no, no. no. Oh, and everybody just still. sits there and says, "Ah." Uh-huh. See, he doesn't even know the words. Yeah. he was being moved. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So um, some of this he's brought on himself. Oh sure. Right. Well, yeah, but the whole benefit of the doubt thing kind of goes away after a while when you don't. Like, you when know, you don't give others the benefit of Yeah, that. pretty much. Well, yeah. And when you tweet a lot. And then there's this prospect of Oprah. Yeah, Oprah. Some people mm. are really excited about it, where others are like, well, me, where it's like, really? Another reality-based individual from Hollywood? Well, the difference, I think, with Oprah that excites people is she's a media figure. She, may, she even said she doesn't know enough about the issues and everything to be president, but... Why don't we go but, for someone who does? Well, Would that be an approach? I'm well, not what, convinced. a politician? <laughs> I'm not know, convinced somebody. she's interested. I really don't think she is. Well, maybe she's doing it for the same reason apparently President Trump was doing it, to be the most powerful, popular man in the world. She's already she's one of not, the most powerful people in the she's world. She's not that vain, right? No. I mean, she only goes by think, one name, and she has her own network and magazine with her name on it. She's not that vain. No. Uh-uh. Um, that was funny. Good job. But she... But she's kind. She's a kinder, gentler person. Okay. And we were saying maybe the thing she could do is go find that candidate, mm. which I'm assuming would be Democratic. Right. And find that one candidate that she could get behind and then put all of her media power behind him. The media power her. of the O Network, which yeah. has failed and she sold it to Discovery. Yeah, but that don't okay. go about just the say, O I'm Network. Don't go. <laughs> but I'm talking just about she's a powerhouse. Okay. 
and then put all the power behind that person that knows what they're doing. Mm. Maybe that's Joe Biden. Could be. Maybe it's... Maybe drop a couple decades and find someone that we're not worried about their like actual health. It's more like, hey, did you get your physical? Good job. Oh, it's a weird time for politics. But could you imagine a race between President Trump and Oprah Winfrey? Tell Sadly, me, yes. The ratings <laughs> would be crazy. Yeah. In fact, by the way, that's all we talk about is the ratings. Pretty much. Which is why I think it would be less yeah, than productive. Let's not do it. Let's not do it. <laughs> not wanting to go there. Okay. So uh, we blew that idea up. Um, okay. Let's get to the headlines and see if there's other news we should be paying attention to. What is up, Terry? North and South Korea have agreed to hold official military talks. Officials from two, the both countries announced Tuesday morning in a rare joint statement. Such talks would mark the first time the two Koreas have engaged in any such dialogue in more than two years. Earlier today, North Korea announced a formal, uh, during a formal discussion with its southern neighbor that it would send a delegation to the upcoming Winter Olympic Games in South Korea. The South agreed to temporarily suspend sanctions against North Korean officials visiting their country in order for the visit to happen. Apparently, they, North Korea has a pair of figure skaters. Yeah. Just high quality. They're incredible. So they want oh, to. training in Canada. Yes. They're not going to club each other in the kneecap either? No, they're not. It's not Tanya Harding's. Yeah, they're not, they're not U.S. figure skaters. <laughs> the whole different caliber there. Um, other news, the United States is weighing the possibility of launching strikes on North Korea. The Wall Street Journal reports the strikes called a bloody nose option would reportedly be a limited strike on North Korean facility in retaliation for future North Korean weapons tests. U.S. officials are reportedly uncertain if they could conduct these strikes without setting off all-out war. Yeah. Uh, strikes on North Korea come with a risk of massive consequences. The isolated country has an arsenal pointed at nearby Seoul, South Korea, the capital of South Korea. Uh, North and South are also poised to enter diplomatic talks. So, they're, so North and South are talking, and we're planning on a bloody nose option. Yeah, but the cool news And we're about, not involved in these talks at all. No. But which is probably the South going, hold on, we can do this better. They had to add new phone lines, apparently. Because so Kim Jong-un could sit back and, and send messages directly to his people. So right. Kim Jong-un is actually listening in on the talks, mm. which is – it's as if he's there. Wow. Don't you find that exciting? Sure. This – by the way, <laughs> you know that if this goes well, President Trump will take credit for it. Of course it did. He, hmm. he took – he took credit for, uh, what, no uh, U.S. domestic airline deaths. Well, yeah. He, he says that's because of him, and it's, well, no, it's happened for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Well. It's, um, it's an interesting world. It is. And, you know, tomorrow's another day. Has Trump's elevated rhetoric on Twitter forced the North and South to actually talk to each other? Well, maybe. Or was it the Olympics? It was probably the Olympics. But, but for now. But what if it keeps going? No. I mean, really, they're even talking about having uh, – they're going to try to bring up later in the day today about reunions where oh, South Koreans right. can re- reunite with the North Korean families that they haven't seen for, like, what, 50-something years? Right. I mean, that's an interesting discussion. So if that actually comes up, we'll see if – you know, may, is Trump really having any leverage? Hmm. Not Trump's rhetoric, I guess. Yeah. His strong stance. Is it working to push them together? Or is this just another trick from Kim Jong-un to buy more time (gasps) to build his nuclear arsenal? Beyond, say, two missiles. Yeah. Apparently we have submarines that have more missiles on them than their entire stockpile in North Korea. But he's going for a baker's dozen. Yeah. 
Well, you know, everyone has a New Year's resolution, right? <laughs> a judge in Las Vegas has decided to dismiss criminal charges against a Nevada rancher and his sons accused of leading an armed uprising against the federal authorities in 2014. Chief U.S. Judge Gloria Navarro signaled when she declared a mistrial last month that she might dismiss the case outright against Cliven Bundy and Ryan and Ammon Bundy and Montana militia leader Ryan Payne. The judge severely criticized prosecutors for what she called willful violations of due process, rights of defendants, including failing to properly turn over evidence to their lawyers, but she gave the government a chance to submit written documents opposing dismissal of all charges. So, uh, Clive and Bundy, uh, dis, what, ranching fees to the federal yeah. government, I think, was I think the whole was, point yeah. of this. And then, so he kind of... Watering fee, like watering rights. Something like something. that. So yeah. he's out there, some militia guys show up with semi-automatic, automatic weapons, not sure from the television reports. And then the federal government shows up and they have their guns. And so you have armed militia members right. facing down federal agents... He gets arrested, and now they're just going to dismiss the charges because the government messed up the case. By the way, not even to mention his son's going up into Oregon and having another standoff. That was a separate case, yeah. Where a man died in a shootout, and that was all dismissed, right? Right. So... But this... Or might be pending on a couple of them. They're still... I mean, there's... But not on the... Yeah. Yeah. But but most of them aren't going to get no. the Bundy boys weren't getting in trouble up there, I guess. I'm not sure how where that stands. There but, is the trenching issue, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> Moving on. We watch the trenching live. <laughs> but one of the keys to this is apparently this is like overreach. This is yeah. what Clive and Bundy is talking about. The very fact that the courts threw it out is supporting his argument. The government well, is overreaching. Not on the actual case. It's because the government didn't follow through with the process as a court, so it threw the case out. Well, right, but in the West, you hear this story a lot that the government can throw out a lawsuit without any issue, right? and then everyone else has to make it work, but now they're showing that, hey, you're not playing fair. There you go. Scary. <laughs> okay. And finally, two-thirds of people who use digital voice assistants... Like the Amazon Echo yes. or the Google Home, use their smartphones less often, according to a new, sur- new survey published by Accenture, a tech consulting company. We do that. Mm. We, we, I'm not playing with my phone as much. The result, I can play with my Alexa. The results suggest that the next wave of consumer technology will be centered around these digital assistants and may spell trouble for smartphone makers like Apple and Samsung, who lag behind. Amazon and Google in this emerging space. It says sixty-six percent of the respondents to this poll say they agree, uh, agreed, or strongly agree that they're using their phones less. Within the subgroup who said they're using their smartphone less, sixty-four percent said they use phones less frequently for entertainment. Fifty-eight percent said they do less online purchasing with their phones, and fifty-six percent do fewer searches from their phones because they can just talk to you the just, thing in their yeah. kitchen. I love it. You know, I actually use my phone less ever since my wife got me this Apple Watch. Mm. It's funny because I'll I'll frequently use it to uh, dictate a text message on my watch. And then it took me a second, but I realized... So you're talking to your watch. Yes. Okay. Like so Dick Tracy. Then I realized, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure I could have been doing this all along on, on my phone. phone. Yeah. It's really complicated. But for some reason, it's easier on the watch than it is on the phone. Interesting. Because on the phone, it's, you, you have to hit certain keywords and do it exactly yeah. this way. Oh, it's such a pain. Plus, on the phone, they give you some, like, it'll give you keywords to say. So if somebody asks you a question, you can just say, sounds great, mm-hmm. click. And then you don't have to 
then when you're driving, you can still play on your phone and your watch while driving. Oh, nice. And it makes it a lot easier hmm. to play on both simultaneously while sure. operating heavy machinery. Easier to break the law. Mm-hmm. One interesting figure out of this it says that in the U.S., the uh, the survey est- or the people that did the survey estimate 21% of the online population of the country owns one of these devices. 21%. Wow. 37% will own one by the end of 2018. Yeah, so get used to it, folks. It really is amazing because you just have to say the name. Alexa, hmm. use your name. Right. Insert your name here. You can also change that. Oh, you Whatever can? you want, yeah. Jeebs? Sure. Can really? You? Yeah. I didn't know this. The funny I, thing is- I listen is, to a podcast. They reference it all the time, and they yell out, Book of Knowledge, and it goes, bleep. Your Excellency? Yeah. Um, but you I can think, also have it refer to you or whatever does you it, want. It must get to know your voice, because it, I think it knows my son's voice- Better than everyone else's There's voice. The, I think I was reading about the, the Google Home device. It can actually differentiate between you and somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. On some level. Yeah. And they're, they're you know building the technology as they're going. And so then it's you can better. build your profile. So you can say, uh, hey, Google. Sorry for everyone out there that we just set theirs off. Yeah. Um, what's, my favorite, what's my favorite lunch? Mm. And it'll recognize your voice, and it'll tell you your favorite lunch after you've gone through some questions with it. Mm. So, it, our, why would our, you need to ask it for what your favorite lunch is? To or see don't it, you know? You to need see to, if it knows. You need to test your subjects. Then, mm. then, then you say no. Then you say, "Hey, Google, order my favorite lunch," and it's why they can eventually order it and have it delivered. Like President Trump sent sent Stephen Miller to CNN to yell at Jake Tapper so he could watch it on TV and then put it on Twitter later saying, look how good a job that Stephen Miller did. It's how you test your people, make sure there's loyal. It's like a robot. So you're testing your in-home device to make sure it's loyal by saying, do you know my favorite sandwich? Do you think President Trump says, hey, Stephen? And he's like, yes, sir. He just appears at the door. Yes, sir. What can I do for you, sir? Go fight with Jake Tapper on CNN. No problem, sir. Be right there. I'm a fan of this conversation because we are in the process of smartificationizing our home. Be careful. I don't think that's a word. You go too far with that. Smartificationizing? Mm-hmm. Are you, are you, you're going to go got, full bore we've now. We've got the, the Schnoogle home. Yeah. Uh, we've got uh, a smart thermometer. And Thermostat. we also have the little smart outlets. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and we have a, a, a Sny blow blot. Oh, uh, I think that's a vacuum that ro- that vacuums their house. Yes, you can call it a Roomba. That's what they're called. Okay, that's what we. Call. It doesn't. <laughs> it, it doesn't. It doesn't trigger the device. You so. don't like Snide Blowblot? I didn't know what it was. I'm not sure. I'm like, what was that? That's a <laughs> weird. Whatever one. it is, it sounds painful. All this pig Latin. Um, one thing that isn't right now: the Consumer Electronics Expo. Right. Yeah. They call it CES now, but it's happening in Vegas, and there's all these devices that are showing up, and they have either Google or Amazon has their device integrated somehow. You have fridges, you got random thermometers, yeah. you got crock pots, all kinds of things, but they're integrated to your voice assistant so you can set up some sort of skill as they call it yeah. with Amazon or whatever Google's calling it and you can just call out to your assistant to turn on the fridge or you know whatever you do with you know your oven whatever and you get notifications back and forth this with all these exciting. devices in your house. One of the fridges costs like $5,000 so yeah. oh well, but think of it. Don't think of it that way. Just think of it that you will now be able. It will now be able to order food and continually keep itself full. Right. That will cost you tens of thousands of dollars. Sure. Samsung is trying to use their voice assistant called Bixby 
Really? Mm. That everyone kind of laughs at. Because when you buy one of their phones- like Bill Bixby? When you buy one of their phones, Bixby's there, but so is the Google Assistant. Oh, on gonna, the same device. See, they're going to start fighting. And people just use the assistant instead of Bixby. Bixby, like, what's get this? a job. Yeah. I want to see if there's a correlation between the people that use this and uh, the level of laziness. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Probably. I'm, I'm wondering if maybe the people that are using these aren't as healthy. Well, I'm just um, talking about my own no, family. I, no, but I I'm use talking one. about my own family. So what yeah. you're saying is you buy one, you get heart disease. Maybe. Wow. I, I, but I use it more for vanity. Like I will say – You want praise from it? I will say, Belexa, mm. play the Matt Townsend Show podcast. Just out of the blue? Boink, and up comes the show. Or Belexa, play BYU Radio, dot, uh, BYU Radio and boink, the show turns on. These are phrases you've never said at home. Never. <laughs> never. Um, it's hard to listen to your own vanity. show. We lived it. Living it again? Eh. Yeah. No, I, I have a. We've been I, there. I can't do it. It's great stuff. I, the funny thing is, I can't stomach it. Yeah, <laughs> you went I that far. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I get a little sick in, in the belly. Oh, boy, it's not easy having your own show. Know what I mean, Jeff? I think it's very easy. Yeah, that's where we're different. Hey, straight ahead, we will be talking about making sense of your emotions. Do you know why you have emotion? What is it for? And uh, how do we innovate it? How do we learn to listen to it, to maintain it, to manage it, to keep it at a healthy place, uh, to use it to learn, to grow? Emotional intelligence straight ahead with our own Dr. Frank Ninavaji from Yale uh, University. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. You know, brushing your teeth, washing your hands are the things everybody can do to build good physical hygiene. But what if you want to build good emotional hygiene? Well, here to talk about it, Yale's associate attending physician, Dr. Frank Ninavaji, one of our great contributors on the show, joins us again today to discuss his new book, Making Sense of Emotion and uh, Innovating Emotional Intelligence. And I'm telling you, I've been reading it. It is it is quite a read. And again, it it. It totally – it takes us to a different level of emotional intelligence. Dr. Frank Ninavaji, thank you so much for being with us again. Well, thank you very much for having me again, Matt Townsend. It's my pleasure. I love your book. And again, Frank, I'm telling you, you're deeper than any man I know. And yet <laughs> – but you also you're, – you're, you're very balanced too because you understand – uh, the power of spirituality, the power of ethics and morals and goodness, and simultaneously you can take us to a di- different level uh, of, of emotion. D- define for us, Frank, in the easiest terms. Remember, you're talking to me here. Keep it simple for me. What, what is emotion? What, what are emotions, and, and what, what do we need them for? Okay. Um, emotions. Now, this is my take on the whole thing based on all my work at Yale, all my studying from in my own life experience, and I'm, you know, I'm up there. I'm 70 years old, so this is a lot of experience and 45 years of work as a doctor, child, adolescent, adult psychiatrist with children, 
especially um, emotions. To me, emotions are as great or if not greater than thinking and thought. I don't really separate them because I don't think they can be separated. They're in us, and we are really intrinsically one. Hmm. We are one unity, although we think we're split into a thinking part, a feeling part, uh, a sensual part. In reality, my take on that is it's all one, but because our minds, are, our human minds on Earth, are limited and incomplete, we incompletely grasp what we experience. So emotions, for me, and I've kind of redefined what emotional intelligence is, and the definition of emotions is included in this, and it's a little bit sketchy and simplistic, but it's, it's really deep. Emotions are the synthesis of sensation, perception, conception, and emotional performance utilization, which means acting on the emotion which is mixed with thought. That's what emotions are. It is the mix of synthesis of sensation, perception, conception, conception. and the final target is action in the real world. That's the point that a lot of theorists have not emphasized. I don't want to say missed, but not emphasized. But I emphasize it because I'm a clinical person. And clinically, that's the relevance and significance of emotion. That's why it's important, because it's reflected in what people do, not merely in what they say or think they say or think about things or just write It's in what you do. By your fruits, ye shall know them. Your actions. It's the it's the walk, not merely the talk. Huh? In fact, you. In fact, when you look at it and just look at the words, it's so emotions are the synthesis, the combination of how you sense the world, see the world, conceive the world, and act in the world. All true. I love to emphasize, when you say the world, you are, for your purposes, each of us, is the centration of the world. I am the central point in my world. And that's how you interpret and experience existence, the world. But you're part of the world. Yeah, you, but you're yeah. seeing it from the inside. Yeah. And also from the outside. And so sensation is actually your physicality, how things vibrate and tremble and reverberate in you. And that actually comes first. And I appreciated that when I studied infants. I did a, some training in London, in uh, Oxford, many, many years ago. And I did some training in infant psychiatry when that was supposed to sort of be um, where everything was. And I saw the infant, the preverbal infant, not only in the first year of life, but even in the first month, two, three, four, six months, how there were no words. Later on, there's coos and babbles, but before six months, there's just a physicality of sensation, 
but it's loaded with emotion, which is communicated to a loving caregiver or a mother or a father. Hmm. And that transactional sensitivity is the core of the love and the, the food, the milk of human kindness, how we grow emotionally from infancy into adulthood. So as a parent, when you're dealing with an infant, you really, you're, you're really dealing with emotion management and emotion connectivity, uh, re- reading their emotions, responding to their emotions, soothing their emotions. It's, a, it's, a, it's more of an energy connection. It's an energy, and another word, and another good word is empathy, huh. empathy, which is not just um, feeling what another person is feeling, but grasping fully, grasping fully, cognitively and emotionally, and also intuitively, what the other may be going through at that moment, and then a kind of complete empathy is the ability of the empathizer to communicate that to the other person. Let them know, yes, hmm. we're here together, and I get it. I get you. And, and simply, because that's interesting, if I notice you're, you're irritated, but I never complete the circle and somehow help you not be irritated, then I'm not showing empathy. You're not showing complete empathy for right. Yeah. And that is the, you know, this empathy, and I call it empathetic identification, is uh, a key to good parenting. I, in many of my uh, books, I, you know, I, I love to coin terms and phrases yeah. that reflect what I'm thinking in a kind of imagey, visual way. So I wrote articles, and in, in this book too, a parent, you are, you the parent, you are your child's first verb. You are your child's first verb. In other words, you, you are all action with the child engaged with you, and you're understanding and recommunicating to the child all that action, but in a more refined, less distressful, in a more focused, growth-promoting manner. Huh. That's great. That's a neat way to. I, I think it's a powerful way to look at all human emotion. Is that you're, you're a, a, for a child, you're their first action. You're their first ability to act out their emotion and feeling is through you, I guess, and understanding it. But then, as adults, we also have a responsibility to pay attention to the emotion of others. And I guess we cannot not do that, right? I mean, I mean, maybe not pay attention, but we we are always receptive, aren't we, to everyone else's emotion, even if we're not cognitively aware of it? Aren't it's we picking it up? Yeah. It's always there. It's a matter of us becoming consciously aware of what is present. And this manifests itself usually, it used to at least, when people used to get married and stay married. I, I was very involved at one time in uh, marital family uh, therapies, and I could see between loving adults how the love and the bonding and the unit at first uh, was so strong and good, but then over months and years, because of non-awareness, not becoming aware, not paying attention to 
the husband's feelings, the wife's feelings, and the feelings in the couple, and the feelings in the family, children play a major part in all that, how tensions build up, and it, it becomes unresolved, unresolved baggages, which, if not brought into clear awareness, consciously, with conscious thought, can become a very big problem, hmm. and it result in negative emotions, which are destructive they they make people want to stay detach from each other rather than attach in loving ways yeah wow um, talk again, uh, just for, so everybody knows what's going on here. We're speaking with Dr. Frank Ninavaji, who is uh, a great friend of the show. We love having him on. Uh, Frank is a doctor and associate attending physician at Yale New Haven Hospital. He's an, also an assistant clinical professor of child psychiatry at the Yale University School of Medicine's Child Study Center and the psychiatric director at the Devereaux Glenholm School in Washington, Connecticut. As well as having a private practice, he's and he's an author. He's prolific. Also has uh, um, a lot of uh, articles and uh, a blog on psychology today. Um, Frank, as we're talking about emotion, what what are some of the the most basic emotions that we should be paying attention to? Well, the history of a, of the study of emotions that began with Darwin, roughly eighteen seventy two. The expression of emotions uh, in man and animals up to the present time. People think and believe that possibly there are certain core emotions, basic emotions or what were called primary emotions. And they number, the number ranges from four to eight. And some of them are happiness, sadness, fear, anger, surprise contempt, disgust, and then hope, which is also anticipation. Hmm. So those seven, eight basic emotions are believed to be primary core emotions around which when they blend, as, and they can't help but blending, um, all the other feelings and attitudes that we experience emerge from that basic core. That's powerful. Is it? This is what I'm sensing um, about your book. And um, again, the name of the book is Sense of Emotion, Innovating Emotional Intelligence, is our job in life is to do whatever we can to become more and more aware of those seven basic emotions in ourself, but also to then also start to, I guess, use that insight to understand others better and then fine tune this ability to connect in emotionally. That's exactly right, to connect in emotionally. My idea of emotional intelligence has to do with what I call emotional hygiene, and you mentioned that earlier. And I define emotional hygiene as being a sort of life, life cycle process. Early on, it's learning emotional awareness, becoming as aware of emotion as possible, and that would involve all the steps I mentioned earlier in terms of the emotional processing, the uh, sensation, the perception, the conception, labeling, and then looking at your actions and paying attention to your actions. That's emotional awareness. And that develops early on from birth throughout life, but 
superimposed on that, as we get older and become more responsible and self-aware, then emotional, emotional intelligence needs to become emotional literacy. That's the second part, emotional literacy of emotional hygiene. We have to refine our sense of emotional intelligence and as keenly as possible do everything you said earlier. Know ourselves, our emotions, try to see those in others, be able to humanely and decently communicate them in an honorable way with integrity. And that is part of the job of uh, parents, of adults. It's, it's a non, unending, odd, almost ad infinitum uh, situation. Do, Sometimes do, we lose sight of it. Do you sense – I see it more with clients um, today that, that they're struggling actually emotionally connecting to other people. I mean they can cohabitate. They can – even have children, they can share a lot of life uh, um, challenges, but actually to be vulnerable and intimate, they really are struggling with. Is that is that valid? Do you see that in the data? I see it 24-7. I see it every moment, no matter where I look. And it's the way things are, and I. it's always hard to know why things have become this way. But I think that um, technology is a big culprit. Technology is, has made people start to develop and think that they can have a relationship with an inanimate object. Mm. In the beginning, we used to, we used to have, um, re- well, I was going to say, do you remember when? <laughs> when there was just radio, and we sat in front of the box, and listened, and we were trying to understand what the other was saying, but it was us with the box. Then it developed into visual imagery on the television, and it still was a person to inanimate object relationship. And then when technology um, incarnated, then we have all kinds of computers and devices. They call them devices. I call them machines. All kinds of devices that we use. And, and, and many people, it's, uh, it always uh, amuses me when they say, I'm going on social media. They're going on a machine. <laughs> and they're yeah. calling it social media. Yeah. It's not an interpersonal relationship. It's a you with, uh, with an inanimate object that has technology in it relationship. And people are getting so used to that and have become so used to it that it deadens, it dulls, it desensitizes you as a person and your emotions and your emotional sensitivity. Even wanting to be with another human being in the intimate way that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. That's what we're here for, to be intimate spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, as good human beings to other good human beings, and to propagate that as much as we can.
What uh, we've got about two or three minutes. Talk to us about what I can be doing, Frank. And this is just the beginning. We're, uh, obviously, we'll have you back and continue talking about emotional intelligence. But what can I do as a parent to start getting my child to tune in to their emotions, to understand those emotions, to be aware of them, um, and to be able to start becoming literate in those emotions? Well, always remember that you. Um, all work begins with you alone to begin with. So you have to be diligent with your own self. And you have to, a person has to become as emotionally aware as possible and emotionally literate as possible as a responsible individual. Number two, remember you are the living example. Not just example, but you are the living example to your children and helping them to see emotions, to try to understand emotions, helping them to label emotions is, is a very big thing, labeling. What is happiness? What is sadness? What is fear? When you see the child expressing these emotions, these primary emotions or um, core, core feelings, you recognize them and then start labeling to the child. Oh, you seem very happy today. You seem surprised. Look at how surprised you are. Oh, you have a disgusted look on your face. I wonder why. Let's look at that. Or you are so hopeful. You seem like you're anticipating something. You're hopeful that something is going to occur. And this way you give them the lexicon the dictionary, you give them the vocabulary to link words, thoughtful words, with what their and sensations are, and then you go from there and build on that. It's powerful. I really I love having you on, Frank, for that very reason, to just gather just a few skills at a time, but to take our emotional uh, relationships deeper and our, our emotional sense of what we can do. Uh, one way to start, see the emotion, label those emotions, hold those labels up so your children can see and actually have them start to resonate with them real time, in the moment. Um, it's a powerful tool to be the guide on the side of your children. We will continue this discussion up next, a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be your best emotional self. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his Coaching Corner. Play ball! Welcome back. You know, um, think about it. Emotions are this undercurrent. It's that silent, quiet conversation that goes on inside of your body. But they're, they're also, when you think about it, they're constantly operating on you. Have you ever walked into a room and you just sensed something wasn't right? You felt something weird in the force. That is an emotion. You're feeling that or you uh, you get some, you, you know, your boss comes up to you and says, hey, I, I want to talk to you for a minute. And you have your stomach drop and uh, and you start to feel that emotion. See, the emotions are constantly inside of us and are guiding us and are driving us. And I believe many times that emotion, that immediate kind of gut reaction that we have is actually we don't even have necessarily a thought hanging on it. We just have the emotion. It's a raw feeling. And then that emotion we try to make sense of by making a story up for it. 
Many times the stories we make up actually may not be accurate. Does that make sense? So why are you nervous that the boss, well, I don't, I don't want to be fired or I heard that last time he did this or said this and so-and-so was then. So we then go to some story to make sense of it. One of the keys I would suggest that we also do as part of our emotional literacy is pay attention to the story that you're telling. The story that you're telling about the emotion you're feeling may not always be accurate may not always be the, the real story. But the problem with telling stories is that we go back to them as if they're real and as if that's the problem. So when we get in an argument or a discussion or a fight with our spouse and the fight is about what you did that made me so mad, um, if, if that's not accurate, if it's really not about, you know, the fact that you said that one thing in public about me when we were at that dinner with your family um, – that's probably not the real issue. There's another story, and it may simply be the emotion that maybe you feel um, embarrassed. Maybe the emotion that's deeper that might be driving this is an insecurity you have about yourself. So the power of emotion is to start to be aware of your own feelings, especially while you're feeling it. You, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to a, one of my clients and they told me about, you know, a blow up they had with their spouse. And I said – and I asked them, before you actually pulled into the house and, and you know, were, were you feeling anything? What were your emotions when you were coming home? Very rarely does somebody say, I was happy as ever. I had never been better. And then all of a sudden I walked in and everything turned around. Usually they were already kind of in a funk. They were already frustrated or exhausted or tired or depressed or hopeless about life and their job or whatever. And then all it takes is just a simple little catalyst, right? Like your child leaving their bicycle in the driveway. And now you got to get out of your car and move the bike. And then it starts to create. And then as you move the bike, you pinch your finger and that makes you react and game on. So pay attention to it because very easily your emotions could not only be uh, the way you, the way you uh, you know act out to a future uh, a better future for yourself by changing or altering your emotion, but even looking back on the emotional spectrum or scale, what were you feeling ten minutes before this fight? What were you feeling five minutes before the fight? How about one minute before the fight or the argument or the breakdown or whatever's going on in your life? Because those emotions tell stories, right, about what your body is, how it's responding in certain situations. It might also tell you that you need to eat more or sleep more or other information or data that may be useful to you. Anyway, a little advice and insight on our emotions. They aren't our enemy, folks, and they're not something we just want to hide away. But we will continue the journey discussing emotions and better lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We uh, we truly want to help you be a strong, emotionally literate person. It's now time for the Empty News Headlines with Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Jeffrey? You are prone to get mad often. Yes! Am I? <laughs> I I don't think you are, but... No. Uh, but if I could, you do don't... get mad, what what is something you would be prone to do if you did get upset or frustrated? Mad? Yeah. I, it depends where I am, of course. Okay, let me give you a scenario. Yeah. You tell me if this would make you mad or not. Okay. Let's say you're at the ATM, putting in your card, hoping to get some money back. Right. And you get too much money 
you get more money than you requested. Oh, Would that, that makes, make you mad? Yes. Would it really? makes me more mad now, than getting more money than I should. Come on. Everybody loves that feeling of coins clanking well, down a yeah, tray or not in money Vegas. shooting out of a slot. Is the money my money and I'm getting too much of my money out or let's, am I getting someone else's let's money? Let's not get too bogged down with Into those types details. of questions. Yeah. I, well, my head would think, well, whose money is this? And I better, oh boy, now I got to do all deal with this. So apparently there's this guy who um, he used an ATM and he got frustrated because the ATM spat out more money than he requested, apparently. Really? So he just started going at the ATM, just going at it, pummeling it, <laughs> and uh, apparently caused about $5,000 in damages. Wow. Now, he did the right thing. He he called the bank afterwards and admitted what he did. I'm sure they saw the whole thing on camera anyway. Oh, sure. yeah, so, absolutely. And uh, he was arrested. And uh, yeah. But he I, threw I, a fit. He threw a fit. And apparently the ATM had something to say about it, too. That really hurt. I'm going to have a lump there, you idiot. That's you the ATM? like a woman. That's the ATM? Yeah. The so, ATM's British. Yeah, I don't apparently. like some of these uh, assistants. The, their voices are weird. Here's another interesting story for you. Mm-hmm. So there's some house movers in North Carolina that thought they were getting a jump on the day. Instead, their day got longer when the house they were moving fell off a trailer and onto a road. Uh-oh. The North Carolina Highway Patrol told local media outlets that the house was being moved on a rural road just north of Statesville around 4 a.m. Wednesday when the re- uh, rear wheels on the trailer slipped into a hole. And uh, the trailer came out of the hole. The house bounced off the trailer and landed on the road. This <laughs> this kind of makes me think of the uh, the trailer for that movie, the house that cars can't seem to stop crashing into. Yeah. No, that's a very – You know, because with a house a on the road, movie. it's a very common problem. In the small town of Hillcrest Heights, there is a hill. And just over the hill is a house. And when it's dark out – Something strange happens. No, 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 it's happening again! Some say there's a madman slashing people's tires. Some believe there are supernatural forces at work. Others think it's just bad driving. But whatever the cause, one thing's for sure. Cars can't seem to stop crashing into this house. Horror. Horror. The house that cars couldn't seem to stop crashing into. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered, and uh, boy, oh boy, is it a big day for Jeff Simpson. <laughs> See how much hair he lost? I've lost a lot of hair. It had to be 10 pounds of hair you just you had lopped off. Well, thank you. You look great. You look like... Uh, it's been a big week. You got new tires this week. Yes. And then now you got new hair. New sidewalls. <laughs> Is that where you were going with that? I could have been, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. It, works. it looks great. You look like uh Matt Hartbring. No, who's the who's the basketball player um that 
Gordon Hayward? Gordon Hayward. Right. You've got Gordon Hayward's hairdo. It well, is funny. Of. At this age, and I'm not the world's oldest person, let's be honest. No, but you are 35. At this age, and having been married as long as I have, again, we've been married a little less than 10 years. We were just talking about this yesterday, how, how funny it is, how excited we get about change, something that's new. Like, oh, well, my, my niece came over, and we were just raving about the, the new thermostat that we got. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. Are you still talking about that? See? Hey, if, you little... put, if you put it in the right place at the house, everybody wants to talk about it. Really? Because they walk up, and when you move past it, it lights up. Wow. And you're like, oh. That's interesting, and then you, someone wants to know because they're thir- they're they're in the stone ages with yeah, the thermostat. Yeah, they're the old school thermostat. It's little things like this that get you excited. You know, you come home after getting some savings on a sale, uh-huh. and you just can't wait to tell somebody about it. It's not like you've cured cancer or anything. No, you but just got a sale. It seems almost as groundbreaking. Wow. I... This is what comes with age and, and... No, hold it, hold it, huh? hold it. Because I am older than you by 14 years. Well, you're the doctor. Does this, I mean, does this say anything about my relationship? Or well, do I need more excitement in yeah. my relationship? Hold on. First time we've mentioned the doctor and actually something he is qualified to talk about. Go <laughs> That's ahead. That's a really good point. Most of the time it's like, so I've got cancer. I've got this mole that I wanted to show you. It's not, yeah, I'll tell we you We can talk about got. the mole later, but that, this it, is more pressing. Well, here's just my... Here's my um, here's my solution to your problem. Get a life. Just get a life. This is your diagnosis. You went to school for that. Well, a lot of school for that. It, it just can't be that your thermostat is the biggest event of the week. It can't. No. Well, I got I got a haircut. I mean, you're not a 98 year old. Do you have one of these thermostats? No. You can control it with your phone. Yeah. But okay. How often are you changing the temperature in your home? It doesn't Daily. matter. I like you can turn on the fan. Like my wife will cook something, it's a little smoky in the house, turn on the fan. I have to turn it on. I have to turn it up every morning so that I can get a sneaky getaway so my kids and my wife don't hear me and wake up. Wow. So this Yeah. I I don't know. I just um I work a lot and I have fun and play a lot. It gives you a detailed history of how kids. the furnace worked in your house or the air conditioning, depending on time of year. Yeah. Detailed maps. You know, wow, look at that. It's okay. Like... Well. Time's up, I guess. All right. No, you know what? To each his own. Man, I thought we were. Did you notice that? It's like, like a fitness tracker for your house. No, for your for your furnace. Don't minimize this, Matt. It's your house. I think all I really wanted to say was thank you for the compliment. This all started with a haircut. <laughs> That's all right. I mean, to each his own again. Okay, other things going on in the world. Uh, boy, as if it wasn't bad enough for the people of California, fires destroy mountainsides, and now it rains and the mountainside comes down. Flooding and mud drifts caught, killing 13 people. That they know of. Holy Cow, California's been through it. It is crazy because we lived there two year, uh, for two years recently, and we were just begging and praying for rain. And now they get some rain, and it's not what not, they need. No, I mean, it's literally moving mountains. And oh. C- CBS News talked to a guy last night. He's driving his Prius down this freeway. 
in this area. Very California, by the way. Yeah, I know. He's driving 60 <laughs> totally miles an is. hour. All of a sudden, he says the, the bushes and trees and stuff next to the road explode oh, as this wow. mountain slide oh hits gosh. him. Now, not enough that he bounced off the guardrails, but he came to a complete stop in the mudslide where his wow. car was now stuck. And, and then they showed the car, and you're like, wow, that Prius is dirty. In an interview I heard, so a house burns down, which creates a lot of toxic chemicals, Mm -hmm. and then those toxic chemicals flood down into the house below it, and then they flood down into the house below that, down into the city, across the freeways. I mean, it's just a toxic mess. There's Mm. uh, uh, what the fire captain in that area was talking about, these mansions that are up in the hills. Yeah. And now they're just leveled because as the mountain moved, you had boulders the size of uh, buses that just went through the house. Unbelievable. And so on the mountainside, you have two-by-fours, personal belongings, a piece of a car, just kind of It's like a war zone, really. Mm -hmm. More like, I guess, like a Well, that's how he described it. Did he? Yeah. He brought up World War I specifically. I wonder how many many, uh, digital um, thermostats were destroyed. At least four. Mm. By the way, you remember the game Slugbug? Yeah. The, we, my wife and I started that game in California, but with Priuses. No, hold on. Oh, oh, oh. There were so many Priuses. So what do you we, call it? Slug Prius? I, we didn't really call it anything because it didn't last very long because there were so many that it wasn't, it wasn't special. It wasn't a fun game anymore. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe what you should have done is like Slug SUV. Those I, are very rare, aren't I they? I still don't have feeling in my left arm because of that game. Because she'd punch you? There were just so many Priuses. Yeah. Slug. Or I think it's Pri-I. Or yes, Priam? Is you... it Priam or Pri-I? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, by the way, an earthquake as well. Lots of crazy uh, stuff going on. And so let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Find out what else we should be paying attention to, Terry. What's up? So again, mudslides, California. 13 dead. Expecting more because they don't know if people. The problem is people could have been on vacation, but their neighbors don't know. Right, but so they're not around. We haven't seen them, so are they here? You know, because oh. they come and ask you, is, is everyone accounted for? So there's that type of situation going on as yeah. they continue cleaning up. In other news, if you watched yesterday, uh, President Trump held a uh, cabinet meeting. Not a oh. cabinet meeting, but it was a high-level discussion with Republicans and Democrats about DACA, yeah. immigration issues, and it was on TV for 50 straight minutes. Usually they bring the media in for about five minutes and then kick them out and have the meeting. Right. Well, they left them in there for 50 minutes with the cameras rolling. Wow. Mm. So you could have sat there. I didn't because I, you know, Yeah, the lose. people that but, don't have anything else to but do. But it's interesting because... You can see how this process works, how the negotiation works. Republicans say things, Democrats say things. And then President Trump was trying to kind of play the middleman, working both sides of the issues, like you have points, you have points, and trying to figure out. Well, at one point, they talk about uh, Dianne Feinstein, senator from California. She puts out this idea, let's do a clean DACA bill. So DACA, uh, Deferred Action for Children of Immigrants that Have Come to the United States, the parents were illegal. The kids the were Dreamers illegal. Act. Dreamer Act. All those types of kids. 800,000 people we're dealing with here. We want a clean bill. Nothing attached to it. Just deal with that one issue. Hmm. And Trump's like, yeah, let's do it. That sounds like a great plan. Wow. And then he's he's on board. Um, what's his and name? McCarthy? Kevin like, McCarthy, the Senate Majority Leader's sitting, the Republican sitting next to Trump, goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, Mr. Trump, President, what, we were, what we've talked about is a clean bill would be this. We're, we, we don't, 
If we're going to do a clean, but we, you've also talked in the past about how you want a security element attached to this, the wall or something. So he's trying to nudge yeah. the president back onto the Republican talking points. And the so, president's like, well, I think that's what she's talking about. And he's like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so it's like all of a sudden we almost had, remember Inside. We, had the, we had the Chuck and Nancy moment from a few months back yeah. where all the leaders are in there and he sides with the Democrats and the Republicans walk out confused like, what had just happened in this meeting? But I guess so they're... You got a first-hand view of his his ability to really negotiate an issue with Democrats and Republicans, well, and what we found out is he can't. Well, there there were some times where he didn't seem to know the whole issue. Yeah, um, but he was trying to be the guy he talked about on the uh, on the campaign trail, be the deal maker. Yeah, right, be yeah. that guy. Except he probably needs to study up more before he starts siding with the side that he doesn't agree with. At least that's what he said. Or in the past. was he just pretending to side in that moment with? I them? don't know. Diane Feinstein almost got it done yesterday. It's, it's she's like. Meanwhile, really? the courts acted on it. The courts have basically said. Yep, the courts came out, and the federal court, I believe in California, said that they put a pause on repealing, basically undoing DACA, saying you need to still you settle. Can't, you can't undo it. There's some court cases going on. And there's people's paperwork that's in transition, that kind of thing. So that's been put on hold. So interesting. This will, this is all in flux as they try to figure out immigration and how this is supposed to Was work. Was it a mistake that they left the press in there? Like I mean, no. I went to a wedding where no, they're saying they did it because of the recent uh, questions of mental capacity of uh, the president. So he looks show. like he's fully yeah. in cap- you know, yeah. fully capable of of doing the job. Well, by the way, if he had actually gone with um, Diane Feinstein's approach, yeah. They really would have thought he had issues. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what are, are you? Are you crazy? What does, that mean? what does it mean when someone folds their arms a lot when people are asking them questions? They're probably trying to protect themselves. So he does that quite a bit. Yeah. I think I think that's the sign he's he's just you know putting on the defenses. Yeah. So he tried but. to. They're trying to present him as being in command. I'm running this meeting. Just at one point, it kind of went <laughs> off the rails, and oh, then yeah. the Senate Majority hey. Leader knocks it back on. And- Who hasn't run a meeting that's gone off the rails? I mean, I noticed we don't even have meetings anymore yeah. because we don't even have rails. We just had a meeting the other day that was supposed to be 30 minutes. It was an hour and 30 minutes. Really? A little off the rails. Yeah, I remember that one. That was um, – that's interesting news. Okay, yeah. good. So president's on it as far as DACA is concerned. He's, yes, trying. For, just forgot for a minute that the, he wanted to tie it to border to security. The wall. Yeah, he wants the wall. I like the idea of a clean bill, though. Yeah. But just then, vote on this one issue. Yeah, let's just get that one done. And then let's just vote on the wall issue. Let's just vote on them one by one. That seems Except to... for the Republican side sees it as amnesty. Right. So that's something Trump... And Trump's like, I'll take the heat. He goes, I understand people don't like this, but this needs to, this needs to happen. He says it needs to be a bill about love and compassion. That's great. The Republicans great. are like, well, we want a wall. Not a hey, wall, but they want more security. What's all this love and compassion stuff? In other news, a sweeping new report by congressional Democrats warned of sweeping Russian interference throughout Europe, AP reports. The 200-plus page report released by Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland, the ranking Democrat on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, comes without sign-off from Republicans on the panel. Even without GOP backing, the report recounting of Russia's operations in 19 European nations foreshadows the still-unpublished Senate Intelligence Committee bipartisan inquiry into the Russia's role in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. The report cites years of cyber attacks, disinformation, clandestine social media operations, financing of fringe political groups, corruption, 
and in the extreme, assassination attempts wow. and military operations that destabilize fledging, fledgling democratic governments in the Ukraine and Georgia. Woo! Woo! It's the inc- Republicans were like, they didn't want this released. Democrats released it. Uh, it also talked about um, what Diane Feinstein released, the uh, uh, in part released uh, Fusion GPS. They came up yeah. with the Trump dossier. Yeah. Right? They released some information showing that the the talking points out there from some are that the Democrats paid for this. This yeah. dossier that looked at right. President Trump and all that. What, they're, what the actual report says is that a source from within the Trump campaign caused the FBI to start investigating and also uh, this Christopher Steele guy who made the dossier he was a walk-in whistleblower at the FBI and said here's some evidence I have found about what's happening with the president I think he may be uh, tr- he might be exposed to blackmail oh wow so that's where it all that's started how it started they're not saying the Democrat uh, so the report doesn't say that Democrats paid for it the Clinton campaign paid for it which is the news that's yeah. out there it actually started because a guy Papadop- probably the Papadopoulos guy who's mm-hmm. now been indicted. Yeah, blabbing in a uh, what a he was drunk in, in England. Papalopidopidus. So <laughs> it, it starts within the Trump campaign, and a guy starts looking into it and sees there's blackmail. So it doesn't uh, start with the Democrats. So the story about where this comes kidding. from and all right, this stuff and, gets really complicated. But again, the Democrats released it, and they're saying because the Republicans on the Senate committee were trying to kind of withhold all you, that information. Could you imagine people going after you? This is why many are saying there's no way Oprah's going to go near the presidency. Right. Because who wants a dossier on you? Who wants exactly. every little thing that's ever happened in your life turned over? It ruins your legacy. And then everyone thinks you've got mental health issues. Right. It's not worth it. No. Is I mean, really, is it worth it to be the president? No, it's not. No. He seems miserable. He does. We've all got a little dirty laundry. He does, Some too. More he than eats others. hamburgers in bed. Yeah, that means, that's greasy. But I mean, that tell me you Sorry. haven't eaten something weird no. in bed. Mm-mm. You know, it's like gross. an ice cream sundae. Nope. Never. Uh-uh. How about a, a Crumbs. big? It's gross. How about a big log of salami? No. Hmm. Mm, that Not sounds even. pretty good. The a little sto- mustard. A, a on store it. I shop at has a product called Yard O Beef. How about a yard of mm, beef? No. <laughs> There's too much that. O in that yard. There's too much O in the yard. So you haven't, you haven't had any of that? No. Ever. Have you ever had like a, a bag of chips? In bed? Yeah. No. Oh, I probably have. Oh, yeah. When I was a kid, I'd, I'd eat mm-hmm. at times just down in my how room. About, okay, this is, this is definitely you'll have. How oh. about a Cobb salad? <laughs> I had a taco salad. <laughs> you know what the key is? If you don't want to eat in bed, don't have a TV in your bedroom. There you go. We just moved ours out of the bedroom, and we don't eat in our bed anymore. Really? Yeah. Of all the marital advice my wife has read, that's really the only one she's ever held on to. Don't have a TV. No TV in the bedroom. Why not? But it doesn't, that made sense like in the 80s and 90s. It just doesn't make sense today. Then don't have your phone in your bedroom. Well, I mean, you have right. a phone. But oh, should... well, no, but the phone is the no, I know, I know, for all of us today. The, the, TV, the TV will make its way back into our bedroom once I can afford the uh, the mount on the wall yes. that allows it to come forward, tilt down, uh-huh. so I can lay down. Sometimes yeah. they you cost as to... much as the TV, the mount. Yeah. Oh, it's like eight hundred dollars. Yeah, Do you remember ridiculous. watching those infomercials as a kid when they would show you like the medical bed that could sit up? Yeah, I remember thinking as a child, "Oh yeah, that <laughs> that old person has made it." Like they have a bed that just sits right up; they don't have to move anymore, and they, it, the bed can vibrate a little bit or whatever. Warm; it has a little heating factor in it. Moving's overrated, totally, until you need to do it. So finally, yes, some more TV news. 
good. Uh, national championship game for the college football playoff championship, whatever Killed they're calling it. it. It got 28.4 million viewers across ESPN. They call it their mega cast. <laughs> right? They have ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, plus you go onto their digital oh, yeah. app and there's like 20 different Hold options. On. Is and 28 stuff. million viewers, is that good? It sounds good to me. It's but... a 13% bump from last year's championship wow. game. Which, which also was kind of a last-second game. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, 13% more people watched it this year. Big Just time. to give you some perspective, I think the average episode of uh, Big Bang Theory, which is probably the number one sitcom on TV, I think it's like 13 million. Wow. Somewhere around that there. a good night. So it says Monday's game brought in $27.4 million on ESPN alone, which is up 12% from last year. So if you look at those numbers, 27.4, they're saying 28.4 total. So they got less than a million people watching all those other channels they put all that effort into. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess the, have they learned the lesson? Let's no, not they're going to do, gonna do it all the time. I love it. I sat there. I was telling you, I just yeah. flip them through. I didn't even watch the game. Well, some of those are really easy, like just the one that has stadium sound. Right. I mean, yeah. that's easy. Yeah. They said the peak audience was 30 million people. Unbelievable. Yeah. When they scored the winning touchdown, they estimate 28.4 million people were watching it at midnight Eastern. That's cool. So now, yes. where, where does that relate to the biggest TV shows of all time? Well, the big, so those, that would be Super Bowls. Super Bowls. Last year's Super Bowl. So they're saying 28 million people watched this yeah. championship game for college football. Last year, uh, Nielsen TV ratings for the Super Bowl, 11, 111 million people watched the game. Hmm. Right? Wow. So 111 million people watched the Super Bowl, whereas 28 million watched the college yeah. football championship. Right? So it's... Not even close. Yeah. You're still in the minor leagues. I didn't watch either one of them. Well, you were getting your hair cut. Took a long time. And you were probably cleaning your thermostat. Oh, I polish it now every oh, it's day. it's pretty. The way they have it, like some polished steel, nice yes. glass coverage. Oh, it's nice. already starting to let me down, though, because it's supposed to light up when you walk past it so that you can see uh, the temperature displayed on the thermostat. It stopped doing that. Hmm. I think Sorry. I want my money back. Just look in the instructions. It's there. There's a setting. <sighs> Oh, you guys, you're talking about a thermostat. You can also change it to show the temperature outside your house or the current time. Hmm. Any of those things. They're all options. Get I watched an episode of Big Bang Theory on it last night on you the display. You can't watch TV on it. That is, some, oh, then I that must is have, some thermostat. I must have had something wrong with me because I was seeing Big Bang Theory on it. Okay, yeah. I think you were watching. Yeah, you were probably on your phone. Well, everybody in my house has been sick, so maybe maybe I accidentally took some NyQuil. That makes sense. Yeah. No, it's, and that makes sense what, how you got the haircut. Wait a minute. You NyQuiled up and then went out to Wait the barber. Wait a minute. How does it go from a compliment to No, I mean, it looks insult. good. I'm just saying you went out and you came back with a different do. No, you're saying I had to have been under the influence to get a haircut like this. No, no, no. That's not what I said. Hmm. That's what I inferred. We'll go. We'll go check the record. It looks really good, though. Uh, you do. You, you look like a pro basketball player. Straight ahead, folks. We will be talking about some Alzheimer's research. Interesting way to approach the study is instead of studying those that get Alzheimer's, what if we go study the people that uh, are, have the gene that they're supposed to get Alzheimer's but don't? Some professors at BYU have put together a pretty uh, amazing research study that's going to teach us a lot about uh, risk and Alzheimer's. Straight ahead, this is the Matt Townsend Show.
Almost 6 million people in the United States live with Alzheimer's disease, and currently there is no cure. A research group here at BYU just identified a gene variation that could protect people against the disease. Here to speak with us about his research is uh, Dr. Perry Ridge. He's a professor of biology at Brigham Young University, and uh, some pretty interesting uh, data coming out from BYU, Perry. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. That's the study that you did... Um, it's probably normal for you. It's probably not normal from what I'm sensing about um, Alzheimer's research. It seems like what we tend to do is go find the people that have Alzheimer's um, and we, we study those that have Alzheimer's to try to understand the disease. But your approach was was uh, diametrically opposed or different than that. Right. Yeah. The common approach in most genetic studies is to figure out why people get disease and then to <clears throat> develop drugs that can prevent whatever is causing disease. Um, in Alzheimer's disease, we have no effective um, drugs, uh, despite lots and lots of effort to develop effective therapeutics. And so we thought, what if we can find some people that, from a genetic standpoint, are at really high risk and should have disease, but nev- never developed it? Do they have some sort of genetics that are protecting them against developing disease? And that's what we focused on in this study. So how do you go about finding then people that should have Alzheimer's? So we use the um, Cache County study on memory, health, and aging. So Cache County is a study or a county here in northern Utah. Um, It has one of the lowest rates of Alzheimer's disease in the country and has one of the uh, highest life expectancies among all counties in the United States. Wow. Um, In the mid-90s, the government funded a big study to figure out what was happening in Cache County. Um, And that the people uh, that participated in the study then was more than 90 percent of people over age 65 in the county have been followed since the mid-90s. The data set has been augmented from time to time with additional elderly people and family members. And so we use this this data set combined with the Utah Population Database, which is a genealogical record going back to the initial settlers of Utah, um, to look at extended families. And so we wanted to identify um, individuals from Cache County who are also participants um, or who are in the Utah Population Database and say, which of these families have an especially high rate of Alzheimer's disease deaths? So we identified those families, and then we said, are there individuals in these families who are really old, so over age 75, who are cognitively healthy, um, have never developed Alzheimer's disease? And we focused on those individuals. And you were actually able to go in and then target, okay, so here's people that should have it. A lot of their family members have it but um, or extended family has it, but these people don't have it. And then you go try to figure out, is there a genetic variation? Right. So we looked at, you know, what sort of genetics do they do all of these people have in common? And uh, so we found a number of different genetic variants that they shared, and then we compared them back against... Um, a number of databases of individuals with Alzheimer's disease to say, okay, which of these can we filter out because they appear frequently among, mm. you know, affected individuals as well. So what percentage overall of of Alzheimer's cases have a genetic component? Do we know that? Uh, we we don't know for sure. It's, it's probably really high. Wow. Um, I mean, the, the most... 
Well, okay, so there, there are two different types of Alzheimer's disease. There's early onset, so before age 65, and these are a really small minority of cases. Nearly all of those have a really strong genetic component. Um, over age 65, um, it, it's more difficult to say. Probably most have a genetic component, but it's not clear exactly from a genetic standpoint what's driving yeah. it. Interesting. So if so many have uh, a genetic component, then to be able to identify what – and you were able to actually I then bring it down to a very specific gene, I guess, that that actually um, inhibits Alzheimer's. Is that what it does? It it stops it from happening. So uh, it reduces, reduces risk. Reduces it. So we, we did identify a few individuals um, in, in some of the data sets we looked at who have Alzheimer's disease who also have this genetic variant. But the difference in frequency between those who don't have disease and those who do um, was really, really significant. That's amazing. <clears throat> so, um, okay. So now we, I guess, so, so what is the name of the gene that people have that would basically say you've got the Alzheimer's gene? Well, there is really no Alzheimer's gene per se. Um, APOE is mm-hmm. one gene where a certain version of APOE increases risk um, substantially. But, e- but even in that, not everyone that has this particular version of the gene gets Alzheimer's disease. And then what's, what's the gene you found? RAB10. RAB10. So, so yeah. what do we do what, and what do geneticists do once we now know that RAB10 is the gene um, that is, uh, I guess, the helpful gene? What, what do we do with that knowledge? <clears throat> So um, geneticists find it, and then it's up to you know uh, drug developers to say, can we mimic what this particular gene's function is um, to provide some sort of protection against Alzheimer's disease? This is, is an especially attractive target um, because we we found it in in elderly, healthy people. Yeah. So it doesn't appear that mimicking this version of the gene and its function, it doesn't appear that. Developing a drug that does the same thing is going to have significant side effects. Otherwise, these people wouldn't be elderly and healthy. Right. No, right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, so the genetic side seems like there tends to be a, maybe more hope on the genetic side of the Alzheimer's research than, um, I guess, on other sides. Well, certainly easier to find targets yeah. and genetic variants associated with Alzheimer's disease than it is to develop a treatment. And isn't it true? I mean, I think we've talked to a lot of uh, your partners that are studying it here at BYU that the hard part, too, about the genetic or the, the disease of Alzheimer's is every every iteration of the disease is different. It's constantly a different uh, – the disease is constantly a different thing for different people. Yeah, it looks different in everyone we look at. How are we doing overall when it comes to Alzheimer's? I mean, you, you, like you stated, there's no cure, there's no fix, but more and more people, it seems like, are, are, are suffering its effects. Yes, yeah, so we're between 5 and 6 million people right now in the United States alone um, that have Alzheimer's disease. That number um, is going to increase really rapidly um, in, in the upcoming years. Um, and we still really can't do anything to prevent it or slow it down. Um, there are, are some lifestyle changes that um, appear to slow progression or, or slow the onset of disease. Um, exercise, formal education, protecting our brains. You know, we want to avoid concussions and brain injuries. 
um, staying socially active, getting enough sleep, being mentally healthy. These types of things appear to be helpful, um, but the, the support is still not super strong. Yeah. Boy, I just – I was going down the list like, OK, I think I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm not doing any of those. It's um, – boy, it's such a – it's the new cancer it seems like. It's the new – and it's affected our family. It lost my mother-in-law to probably early onset and uh, – which, you know, genetically is terrifying because now everybody's looking – everyone in my family feel like they're looking down the gun and nobody knows who's going to get shot by the Alzheimer's gun. Yeah, lots of people are really scared. And as, you know, I, I interact with people I know in the community and in my neighborhood, um, it really scares people. Um, it's no less deadly per se than, you know, a number of different diseases that we can get. But um, like I mentioned to a couple people, when you take someone's mind away, you take away what it means to be human. That's so true. And then, yeah, then we think, and if you've ever... Uh, cared for somebody that had Alzheimer's, you you think, man, you know, death would be better many times than not being you. Right. And in fact, you know, that's a big problem. I mean, care for Alzheimer's disease patients right now in the United States is over $250 billion annually. Oh, wow. By 2050, that number is expected to be over a trillion dollars um, annually. And um, one of the issues is that care falls frequently to an elderly spouse or an elderly child who physically aren't in a position to be able to monitor someone 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Wow. Um, And so they oftentimes put their own health at risk by uh, caring for someone who has Alzheimer's disease um, and put themselves at financial risk. A quarter of a trillion dollars. (laughs) It's a big number. It's a it, that's a yeah. huge, and again, uh, I think for the la- at least the five years I've had the show here at BYU, and five years before that, uh, I had a show. So for ten years, we've been talking about it and progress. I mean, in understanding different components of it, but no real movement. Yeah, N- no. I, I say no, and in, in from a therapeutic standpoint, no yeah. significant breakthroughs. Is it? Wow. Is there um, – wh- where do you see the future going? Is it going to become more of a – are we going to be studying more of the genetic side of this and then hope the pharmaceutical companies can create some therapeutic intervention? What does the future look like? So I, I, I think there's reason to be optimistic. Um, I think curing Alzheimer's disease is going to be really difficult. Um, a person isn't really symptomatic until so much of their brain has died things just start to shut down. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, in the coming years, we'll, we'll find a way to be, able to be able to prevent disease. So discoveries like the one we made with RAB10, where we target not so much a cure but prevention, I think that those are going to be fruitful eventually. And we'll be able to come up with some therapeutic that we can give to high-risk individuals that significantly reduces their risk of developing disease. Is there a way, and this is just my naivete, to to impact the genes? Is there a way to go in and redistribute or redirect the genes? Um, so that that's called gene therapy. Yeah. Um, I'm not super familiar with the efforts that have been made. I know that there have been some attempts, not in Alzheimer's disease, but in some other um, disorders to try to actually modify genes. And I, I think the results have been kind of mixed. Yeah. It's, pre- it's, it's really interesting to, to know that like the LDS church 
and even like the Cache Valley study. There, you're, there's really a lot of power in having a lot of this genealogical data of history, generation after generation after generation. Who would have thought that just knowing genealogical data would have had such an impact on your study? Yeah, it, it's been huge. And in fact, um, um, Utah samples, because of their large families and known pedigrees, um, have been used in a lot of human genetic studies. And the Utah Population Database, which was a resource we used for this particular study, um, has been instrumental in discovering a number of you know, Im- important genes. So the, the BRCA genes that are the risk genes for breast cancer, uh, the colon cancer risk genes were were all discovered using the Utah Population Database. Were they really? I did not know that. Yeah, it, it's really neat. We've even had uh, producers on the show that found out they had the BRCA gene and then had to go have interventions to make sure that they didn't get breast cancer. Um, what would you suggest? I mean, I mean, I'm always worried about my family, my in-laws, my uh, wife and her brothers and sisters, and I. I guess knowledge is good, but knowledge that you're looking at Alzheimer's, do you suggest people go get that information about whether they have the genes or not? Because there doesn't seem like there's a whole lot they could do except watch it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it really kind of depends on what each, each person's comfortable with. Um, I've chosen not to find out for myself. Um, just knowing myself, I, I, I think I'd be in a anxious, panic state the rest yeah. of my life if I had the genes. Um, other people, I think, feel some level of comfort and and peace knowing what potentially is coming. So I think it, it really just depends on an individual person and, and what they think will be best for them. No, I think you're right. It's amazing, too, what science opens up doors and then also just opens up more questions. I guess that's the purpose of science. Yep. Keeps moving. Keeps getting the questions uh, to be asked. Well, Perry Ridge, we appreciate you again. Perry Ridge is a professor of biology here at Brigham Young University. He's also the program director of the bioinformatics program uh, here as well. So uh, appreciate you, Perry. Thanks for your insight, your great great research. All of us, uh, man. We all owe a a debt of gratitude, I think, to these researchers that are out doing what they can every day to somehow crack this Alzheimer's code. We'll continue the discussion straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball. You know, um, again, I was as we were talking about with Perry and his research on Alzheimer's, I, I've, I've lived it firsthand um, with a, a grandfather-in-law who took care of his wife, Margaret, who had Alzheimer's, and then my father-in-law, my grandfather-in-law's son, who took care of my mother-in-law, who had Alzheimer's. And it is... It's just a really difficult um, disease. It's a really complicated battle that you go through. And one of the things I guess that I I wanted to talk about as far as our little coach's corner is uh, the lessons that were learned in going through that, The, the, the need for patience, the need to try to reinterpret why your partner's doing what they're doing, having finally having a diagnosis of Alzheimer's. 
makes it a little bit easier because now you know what we can attribute all of this forgetfulness to or and 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 other things but there's there's other issues that come down the road and one of the things that i i've seen in the people i love is the the incredible opportunity that it created again horrible none of us want it but the refining process that any disease or disorder does for the caregivers of the world, whether it's mental health issues, whether it is um, Alzheimer's or whether it's Parkinson's or multiple sclerosis. When you become a caregiver and your job is to now help that person through their journey of cancer or whatever, it's um, I truly believe it's a refining process. And I, 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 I want to make sure that we all remember People, life is difficult. People can be difficult. But the reason we choose to go get married is, I believe, personally, a process of refinement. It is a process of becoming the best human being I can become. And that can't happen without a really strong, I think, conflict, a really strong um, battle that we have to go fight against. And the battle doesn't have to be the human being that we're married to or dealing with. It could it could just be the fact that I had expectations in my marriage of one thing, and another thing has now transpired. And um, so I truly have found that marriage is one of the greatest spiritual journeys we go on. It's also one of the greatest finishing journeys that we have. And sooner or later, if you love someone and you care about people, sooner or later, at some point in your life— you're going to have to suffer the battle of loss and the battle of of difficulty. And I, I just can pretty much bear witness that it does pay off. It pays off. It's hard. It's horrendous. It's painful to lose somebody. It's also um, – it's so – empowering. It's so, um, if you turn it over to, I believe, either your higher power or your deepest beliefs and your deepest values, it really can be something that takes you to a completely different um, level emotionally and a different level of character. There is a reason why uh, in the word character is also the same uh, as the same root as C-H-A-R as charity. Um, they they actually have different um, you know etymology and, um, and 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 a foundation of of where those words come from, but charity and character go hand to hand, and we need the trial and the and after the trial uh, of our faith and our belief system and our expectation system, then we can receive the be- the benefits or the blessings. So if you're going through this, if you have somebody in your life that is ill ill or sick or going through some battle or mental health or just a partner that has such rabid ADD or ADHD, they can't remember anything, recognize it not just as, you know, a way to be tortured, but maybe this is a way for you to become the person you need to become. What is it that you can learn from this situation that you are in? Um, and again, if you just listen to the stories of the people that are in the middle of it that can still, you know, look to a higher power for their peace, they usually tell a very different story about how this trial they're going through actually ended up over time becoming an incredible blessing as well. 
And I think in a weird, crazy, roundabout way, Alzheimer's can do the same thing. Um, it's also something I think that we, we need to be careful because you don't want to live your whole life in fear. You want to go live your life so that if you did contract a disease, um, that you'd be able to say you lived your life instead of just fearing your entire life about what might happen to you. Anyway, a little uh, coach's corner for you, a little hope, hopefully, that there is a lesson. And the lesson is, I believe, just as fruitful as the pain you're suffering. Ah, never easy, is it? But it is ours. It's ours to go learn and to take advantage of. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. You know, um, as we just saw with Alzheimer's research, Sometimes the best way to to make some progress is not look at the negative, like who's got Alzheimer's, but instead look at the positive, who doesn't have it. And there are some positives about the United States. Sometimes we think it's all negative. It's all negative news. If you watch the news, it's just I watched it last night. I was just counting them up. It was just a string of negative, 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 negative. But there are some good things going on. There are. And this uh, website I follow, Axios, they put yeah. out a list of the nine things we're getting wrong and the nine things we're getting right. Uh, two things. Jeff got a new haircut. Nailed it. Totally okay. right. And uh, D, he also got a... D? Yeah, I just skipped a couple. Yeah, go ahead. But he also got a new thermostat did. for his house. Two very, very good things. Yeah. I want to hear what uh, B and C are nope. later on. We'll get to those. Yeah. I'll show you the video. So as they put it here, bottom line, Americans are pulling together every day to help one another. There are medical advances that will help millions, and not even D.C. is that bad all the time. Yeah. Right? We had someone on talking about how D.C. is not a complete swamp. There's some swampiness. Yeah. But it's not all swamp, right? Right. Well, so what he says, uh, the first one here, the kids are all right. Teen birth rate hit a new low in 2016, dropping 9% since 2015 and 67% since 1991. Yeah. Washington University found that teens aren't abusing alcohol, drugs, or engaging in delinquent behavior as much as they used to. Woo! That is great news. We're more environmentally friendly. Uh, St. Louis, the city committed to a transition to 100% renewable energy by 2035. See if they get there. It's always a challenge, but I mean, you may. Hold on, who? St. Louis. Oh, that's St. Wow. That's great. They currently only get 5% of their energy from renewable sources. Attaboy. So it just steps that way, trying to clean your air, yeah. clean your water. We're, and it's not like a complete, let's shove all fossil fuels out the door, but we're trying to manage things better because we're starting to notice yeah. the impact that they're having. Uh, three, technology is making a difference. Uh, this is Tesla restored electricity to a children's hospital in Puerto Rico after it was hit by the hurricanes in September. Remember, they went down there with their Powerwall technology and yeah. plugged it in. That te- technology didn't exist a few years ago. We'd have to bring in all these generators, right. and they don't, they're not quite as efficient, but the power wall runs off the sun. That's cool. And they're able to keep things going down there as much as you can. Uh, medical advances, we just talked about yeah. one, as research is finding more answers to things as we move forward. The FDA cleared an earpiece that may help block symptoms of opioid withdrawal. Oh, really? So that was something that's there. Uh, like, does it play... Does it play Barry Manilow? Maybe. Maybe Barry is the answer. So you actually put it oh, in your Mandy, ear. <laughs> it you may help with those symptoms. Five, the, the, the economy is booming. The stock market every day, you'll see a story about new high. It's a new high since the new year. We're just There's a huge run-up. 13 states saw record lows of unemployment this year. Nationally, the unemployment level is as lowest it's been since 2000. 
Woo! That's big news. We're becoming more tolerant Are of we? each other. That's what he's saying here. Support for allowing, uh, let's see here, what's it go on? He goes, uh, Pew Research Survey, for the first time a majority of baby boomers are looking, at the, just in general, just across the board, more tolerant to other people. That's you know, great. it's not what you see it's on great. the news. You see on the news, it's you see great. conflict constantly, but people are more tolerant. We're accepting of others. Uh, space exploration, Vice President Mike Pence said in October that the U.S. will return to the moon and not, not to leave a footprint Back in our flags, to but to build a foundation so we can get to Mars. That's great. Now, I believe Bush and Obama had similar that warrant a dun, dun, dun. ideas. Yeah, probably. Okay. I don't know how positive that is but yeah. people are looking <laughs> to the future yeah. there's plans no, it's moving. something yeah. it's something neighbors are looking out for one another a man in north carolina started a non-profit chemo cars to serve a service that provides cancer patients with free rides to and from chemo treatments more than six thousand texas inmates decided to donate fifty three thousand dollars of their commissary funds to hurricane relief victims a GoFundMe campaign raised more than $11 million for the victims of the Las Vegas shooting in October that left 58 people dead. So, I mean, people coming together, people are, are looking out for, trying to help people. You know, yeah. when there's need, America comes together. He doesn't people. do that thing that <laughs> – thank you. Uh, he doesn't do that thing that every other car charity does where they misspell car, do they? No. You know, like K-A-R-S, no, cars yeah. for kids. C-A-R-S, chemo good, cars. Good, And America f- uh, philanthropy That's is reaching. That's something he got right. American philanthropy is reaching beyond our borders. The Carter Center, run by former President Jimmy Carter, announced in October that it will that it helped eliminate the disfiguring tropical disease elephantitis from two states in Nigeria. Wow. Just because of U.S. charity. That's cool. Absolutely. So there's there's some positive things going on. Charity without borders. Charities that spell correctly. Yeah. That's, that's really charity. the most important See, thing. See, America, you're doing your part now. Let's double the effort and do twice the amount. That'd be great. Proud of you. Good stuff, folks. See, it's not all bad. We are blessed. We will continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives. 